This is exactly right. It's 1943 in the Kingdom of Bulgaria. As the Second World War rages, King Boris dies suddenly and every nation is a suspect. The Butterfly King premieres March the 21st on Exactly Right. It's a cruel tale of a doomed royal dynasty. Somewhere, the truth is out there. Listen to The Butterfly King on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun, dun, dun. This is That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. My name is Lisa. I am the host of the show. I am the other host of the show, and my name is Kara. And you guys should have the gist by now. This is episode 7,000. We recap an amazing episode of SVU. We talk about the true crime it was based on, and then we talk to some incredible guest who had something to do with the show, either acting or in some other capacity. And... You know, today's no different. Um, well, I have a question outside of an SVU, of course. Oh, okay. So I, you know, I have some weddings this year and I found some dresses that were being Instagrammed down my throat. Mm-hmm. Is it trashy to message the company and just be like, am I cool enough? Will you give me these dresses or what? Like, I have a check mark. I don't know. Like, I just kind of want to hit him up and be like, I have some events coming up. Um, am I, like, do I have enough followers for you to hook, hook me up or what? I say, why not? What's the worst they say? No. Right? I don't. think I have to. Because, like, you know, they're $350 dresses. And I feel like I would, I don't want to, I would, I will buy them, but I don't want to. <laughs> I think, yeah, just be like, I'm going to be extensively photographed. Yeah. These are sharing celeb weddings. All over. Yeah. I think that you should have no shame. Go for it. And then fill us in. Keep us updated. Yeah. I'll fill you in. I just like, it's like, just give me the dresses. <laughs> just give them to me. Give me the dresses. That's what I have to say. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Um. That's so funny. I feel like my weddings, I used to go to nine weddings a year. And now I'm like, it's like trickle, trickle, you know? Like, I had one last year that was supposed to be, we all watched it on Zoom together. Like, it was supposed to be, you know, uh, a live wedding. And then now it's like, yeah, I don't even know. Oh, I have my brother's wedding in the fall, but that's it. You know? No, I'm, I not, I'm down to one or two a year. But I never did it in my 20s, really. Like, I just a sprinkle, and now this is my most busy wedding year. So it's pretty yeah. thrilling. And then I guess pre-pandemic, I went to a couple. But I, yeah, I'm excited. I think even, like, when I showed up to Noah and Esther's wedding in Denver, they were like, wow, you really came. And I was like, yeah, bitch. Like, I don't know what you <laughs> wanted. Because Esther goes, oh, I checked the ticket prices for planes, and I would have never come to this wedding. Like she even told, she even did it in her wedding speech. Thank yous. Like she was like, thanks everyone. I would have never flown to any of your weddings for the prices it costs. And it was like wild price ticket, like plane ticket prices. But I did it. I don't know. And I was happy to be there. Yeah. No, I love weddings. Like I really yeah. think I shine at a wedding. I love them. And Chats, dancing, snacks, love, sincerity. Like open I, bar. Yes. It's like all open my favorite bar. things. <laughs> Photo booths. Yeah. I love it. Kids not being welcome. I mean, so many of my favorite things. 
Yeah, I don't think children will be at any of these weddings I'm a part of. Which yeah, I my love. brother just had to send a follow-up email like, ooh, I think some of you got the wrong idea about the save the date. Uh, your kids are not invited. <laughs> no, and I was like so young at my sister's wedding. I was in sixth grade and it was fun, obviously, but like her husband's brother was teen years and he got hammered. <laughs> I remember him singing Enrique Iglesias at the end of the night, just like <laughs> bumbling through. Um, but I, yeah, I think that's where people first get wasted. Family weddings. Yeah. I was wondering, this. I didn't really ever try this, but did you ever get drunk at a bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah? No. No. I feel like some people do that though. They like go, they figure out ways to get like, Shirley Temples and like get booze into them or something like that. Like, I, wasn't I remember drinking I was, in eighth grade. <laughs> no, me neither. But some kids do. And like fucking Shirley Temples were my obsession. So I would never want to add alcohol to them. Like I was just like, give me, load my, like inject those maraschino cherries into my veins, you know? But like, I bet you some kids like fucking try to turn up when their parents aren't looking at bat mitzvahs and bar mitzvahs, right? Not in our I, experience. I hope not. But I guess I knew kids smoking weed in junior high. I, but I don't think they're doing great now. Like, I don't know. You can't, it's not good to be that cool that young. When did you start drinking? I mean, I did take like a shot in sixth grade because I found my sister's like stuff and like we did okay. a thing. But in terms of like, ooh, I'm going to go drink, I would say high school, like junior year. So junior year. Okay. I'm gonna, yeah. I had like a rough, uh, tough swim season. And then I decided to go into weed and alcohol. <laughs> I needed a break. Yeah. No, I, my, a lot of my friends did start drinking in eighth grade and I was like so anti. I was like, no, we can't do that. And then by the end of ninth grade, I was fully drinking. And, um, but I didn't start smoking weed really until like summer after sophomore year. Like for some reason, I like, Summer after sophomore year, I smoked weed. I didn't get high because, you know, they used to say like, oh, you don't get high your first time. And then I think junior year, I started smoking weed and getting high. But, you know, I waited a little bit. Yeah, I I can't imagine. Well, that's why I love that Yellow Jackets part when like Shauna has revealed that she's pregnant and then one of the girls goes, you had sex. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I felt that young where you would be like, oh my God, you're sucking dick and you're 12. Like it was kind of um, wild. No, yeah. I wasn't getting wasted in junior high. I don't, I mean, maybe I was a loser. Like I don't remember people getting wasted at bar and bat mitzvahs that I frequented. No, I don't think you're a loser. I just feel like I've heard about the bar bat mitzvah thing. I, but I do know that like eighth, I mean, I was going to bar bat mitzvahs in seventh grade. And then like in eighth grade, people were starting to dabble. And I remember it was some of my good friends. And I was like, you guys, like, don't do that. That's bad. Like, I was really upset. And then by the end of ninth grade, I was like, yeah, vodka tastes fine with OJ, you know? <laughs> like, um, but, but no, I would like chug it. I would get way too wasted. That was the problem. We would all just like chug the vodka. Like, you just don't even know what the fuck you're doing with anything. But no. Shirley Temples with vodka are delicious now. I have done Yes. That. Yes. Well, probably because we're going to put good vodka in it too, right? Like, I think the, the, like, a ch the way we used to do it in high school or whatever was like, you know, pop off like potato vodka for like $10 a gallon or whatever. And it was nasty. They're called Dirty Shirley's in case you guys Oh, yeah. Dirty Shirley's. That's oh, right. Oh, wow. Annalise spoke. That's what got them yes. going. <laughs> My friend Soph's partner, Annalise, loves a Dirty Shirley. And we used to drink them in San Diego. Yep. Dirty Shirley. I like that. That's so exciting. Yeah, cocktails are great. I've uh, Wait, 
Do you know that I was looking up Shirley Temple the other day? This is weird. I don't know why. I was looking up Shirley Temple the other day because I was trying to like write a joke that had something about Shirley Temple in it. And like, she is like the only child star that had an okay life. Like Shirley Temple lived until she was like 85. No alcohol problems, no drug problems. Like just a- Do you think it's because she was famous for a little bit of time and then disappeared? Like she didn't continue or what was the vibe? I think, well, she didn't keep acting, but I think she was still like, active, like, like publicly, like I saw photos of her as an old woman, like out at events. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think she went fully underground, but like most child stars have some kind of little problem, you know? And like, yeah, Shirley Temple just skated by. Well, she tapped, danced by. And how are your tap classes going, BT dubs? I wasn't able to go last week, but you know, I'll be back on the horse sucking at it again this week. No, it's important to suck at stuff. I, I just like, uh, first of all, it's it's not that physically taxing on me for some reason. Like I don't get super sweaty and it doesn't make me sore or anything, but I am also not great at it. So it's like, it feels like I'm forcing my brain to work in a different way. And I kind of like that, but you know, yeah, I might get sick of it. Yeah, this idea that you have to be good at everything. Like sometimes it's just like, you could just do it. Like sometimes yeah, I color. Are like, People are like, when's the recital? And I'm like, there isn't one. And I wouldn't do it if there was one. <laughs> like, I don't. So it's like, I think it's just to do Adult something Adult tap dance recital. I mean, that would be a low. No, <laughs> no I would it go. for I would sure go. exists because when I worked at the USA Network, my boss, who was like an executive at USA, was doing adult tap and was like, my recitals this weekend. And I was like, whoa. Well, that's like Meg Stalter's character in Hacks. <laughs> when she's like, oh, my ballet thing. So, but I wonder if that's someone who also worked at USA, like worked on the show and connected it all. Or people are just funny, funny writers. Yeah, it is funny. Cause it's like, they asked, I go to the same school, dance school as my child. I think I've mentioned that. And so- like they're having a recital, which I did not sign her up for because it's a hundred dollars and Rosie doesn't do anything. Like she will not follow instructions or do any of the moves. So I'm not like gonna pay to like see that. Um, so I just didn't even consider that there would be one for the adults. So I cannot believe you're not paying for the recital. I also can't believe you have to pay for a recital. A hundred dollars. And I will in like a year or two years. Like she just needs to be a little bit older. Like she just goes and fucks off, you know? Like There's no way I'm paying to see her like run across the stage and like not do the dance, you know? Um, But I'm sure it'll be cute. No, the photo of her with her little friends is cute. Also, Rosie on a Pony was very cute. Oh, yes. Yes, full horse girl action. Did she have fun on it? Oh my God, elated. And I was worried she was going to get nervous because Rosie talks a big game and then when something like actually comes up, she gets scared. And like they strap you to this pony and she felt like sturdy and was just having the time of her life. It was great. I'm so happy for her living a good life. She's going to start journaling soon. Um, Oh, one more thing. We are going to be on tour this weekend in both Seattle and Portland. We had two shows um, in Seattle on the 9th of April, but they sold out. So we did add another show on Friday, uh, April 8th. So if you live in the Seattle area, please come see us. That Friday show still has tickets available. And then on Sunday, the 10th, we are in Portland at the Aladdin. All of this information is available at that'smesseduplive.com or you can check the link in our Instagram bio or all of our Instagram has all flyers for all these places. Contact the venues directly. Whatever you guys want to do, just come see us live. We'd love to see you. Um, Should we get started on today's episode? 
Yeah, please. Yeah, we've got a really good one this week, a classic. All right, let's get into this episode. I would say a classic, a favorite. This is one of the funniest episodes of SVU in all history. I cannot wait to... I mean, there's molestation of children, but... It's pretty funny. Uh, not the molestation part. You'll know what I'm talking about. We're doing Sick, Season 5, Episode 19. Let's get into it. It opens on two young women with, like, pop punk blaring. And one brunette and a blonde and the blonde short hair one. She's pissed off. She, uh, I miss doing this. She, like, slams closed the flip phone. And... <laughs> Oh, so satisfying. That. It is so <laughs> satisfying. And um, they they start talking about like, uh, like the, we get that it's a dorm room. They are not really friends. They are put together and it's very Alphaba and Galinda. If you guys are Wicked fans, <laughs> there's a, one's a goth, one's a blonde and they are not really getting along. And the goth is always online and the blonde needs some action. This is 2004 and there's only one phone internet line. And so she's like, you're always on it, stop. Stop it, blah, blah, blah. So they're fighting. And um, the goth is in a chat room called Slasher Fan Chat Room. And she says, this is life and death. And you're like, shut up, bitch. Um, but no, so there's a guy in the chat room and he's saying that he has a five-year-old with him and he's going to kill her. And he calls like cops pigs and he's going to slit their throats. There's just like a lot of threatening of murdering. And so they get scared and call 911. Um, and and the chat, when you see the chat window, like the font is in like scary, bloody like font. Yeah, this but, is like- somewhere that your husband would live, I would say. This was what your husband... <laughs> was doing in 04. He was in these slasher movie things. Right? Um, yeah, in, in 04, I think he was moving to Chicago to do comedy. But yes, this is definitely a place he might hang out for sure. <laughs> Just to talk about the slashers, not to like talk about killing kids. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I did not mean to imply. <laughs> no, I know. That he would kill a child. But he does love <laughs> horror movies. Uh, yes. we, ta- we talked yesterday about um, some. Uh, so whatever. So this is happening in Denver. So we're in, uh, so someone at the Denver police starts taking notes. They're taking notes down. They, for some reason, think it's happening in Denver. And then behind the police, there's a bunch of random trophies on a file cabinet. And it's like, were they bowling? I want to know what all these cops did to win all these little trophies. Um, but he says, hey, this is not in our jurisdiction at all. Um, and this young, like, uniformed, haughty cop is like, wait, where, where is he? What's going on? And the old man says, New York City, where else? So <laughs> classic. that's classic. Everyone is so jealous of New York, they can't get enough of shitting on it. <laughs> So then we cut to New York City. Hello. Um, A SWAT team is spiraling up the stairs of an apartment building. Benson's and Stabler are behind them. Bulletproof vest time. They're entering an apartment, you know, but they do remind everyone there is a kid in there. There's a kid in there. There's a five-year-old about to get murdered. We have to be careful. They enter and they're like, don't move. But it's uh, family chilling. And there's a young blonde girl, mom, dad. And the dad has been in another SVU episode called Users. I think I remember him more from this one. He has like a juicier part, but you know, an SVU alum, double alum. And then we get a common SVU moment where it's actually a child pretending to be someone on the internet. And it is not a killer. There's not a five-year-old girl being held hostage about to get her her throat slit. So that is very, very good news. Um, So little JJ comes out and he looks like trouble. And he goes, it was just a joke. And I'm on his side, okay? (laughs) Those goths are dumb. Like, I don't know if I... Or do you think you would have called the cops? 
Um, well, apparently they just kept asking him over and over again, are you joking? Are you joking? And he wouldn't answer. So I guess maybe, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, maybe I'm not on his side. Please don't come for me. But I did write, I'm like, I'm with him. Um, it's, <laughs> I This kid is so specific to me. Like, I always remember him. His attitude, his little raspy voice, his face. Like, he kind of reminds me also of Dickie uh, Stabler in later episodes, in other episodes. Yeah, he also reminds me of the little boy from the Elizabeth, not from the Julie Bowen 90210 oh, yeah. Darlene from Roseanne episode. Yes, yes. <laughs> the one who drives the car and that's how they, they yeah. bust him at the beginning. Yeah. Because he stole a van and went, it's just a joke. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah all yeah. these kids are just <laughs> pulling horrific pranks. Um, yeah, they all three of them are together. Um, we should do a fuck, Mary kill, but that would be illegal because they're children. <laughs> okay, so we're at the credits, guys. We're at the credits. Um, there is... You know, we get it. The kid is the thing. There's a family. It's happening. We're back at the station with the dad and son. They're at the table with our detectives. And the dad is like, whatever. He's a kid. It's a prank. Relax. Stabler says, um, you can't just like say you want to kill cops and rape women. Like that's not, that's not going to fly on the internet. Well, it does now. Um, <laughs> standards have changed. Now you can legit just send horrific threats to Instagram and they'll be like, actually, we're into this. Uh, we see nothing wrong with this. Uh, Stabler says, you had hardcore slasher movie fans freaked out. So this isn't just a prank. You had like really, you know, people that love grotesque shit not into it. So your kid did something wrong. Uh, they asked you if you were joking. Like Kara said, he said no. They believed that you were serious. And the dad, oh, and so Stabler says, and honestly, reading everything that you wrote, I believed you were serious too. And the dad says, then you're an idiot. The balls on this family. <laughs> the balls on this family. That's why parents are so dangerous to the world. They can't admit that their kids have a problem. Not me. I'll be the first one to tell, turn Rosie in. I've said it once and I'll say it again. I know. I'm always defending Rosie. <laughs> Both of you were addicted to the quesadilla. Our friend's uh, kid had a birthday party and was like, did she have a kid? Kara walked in. The first thing she said to me was, did Rosie have some of the quesadilla? And I was just like, no, but she had chips. No one cares. And they're like, uh-oh. And Jared kept being like- I wanted her to eat dinner. Well, no, Jared kept being like, don't eat the chips. I'm like, chips and a quesadilla are 100% the same thing, but different textures. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't matter. Nutrition-wise, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was funny. It was the first thing you said when you walked into the door of the party. I said hello, and you were just like, did she eat the quesadilla? <laughs> and the whole time I was there with your husband, with Jared, he kept being like, eat the quesadilla. Just one bite of the quesadilla. Could you have the quesadilla? <laughs> you guys are like, we're always so fighting with her about eating. You know how it is. <laughs> No, she wanted chips. I tried to give her an orange. She didn't want it. Listen, kids are cool, but parents just, we'll see it throughout this whole episode. I mean, they're going to be evil. You guys, this is such a good episode, but <laughs> it's just this thing of like, why can't you just admit that your little child might have gone too far in the internet? It would have made this easier too, but maybe he's doing the right thing and giving the cops no information because you can't trust police. I don't really know. But yeah. it cuts to Benson and she's with the mom still at the house as a bunch of people are gathering evidence. And then the mom as well, is like totally delusional. She says her son is very sensitive. Please don't do this to us. Your son is a sick freak. Um, and then the mom is also like, what about that broken door? What are you going to do? And Benson says, fill out a form and the NYPD will reimburse it. L-O-L. <laughs> SVU is true, a true comedy. Uh, Benson asks if he's ever hurt his sister and the mom says never while like still clearing the dinner table. Uh, people are just so committed to 
finishing errands on this show. I will never understand that mentality. Um, Benson also says that she needs to talk to the daughter alone and the mom doesn't want it. And I didn't know this before, but kid criminals can have an adult with them, but kid victims need to be talked to alone. Right. Um, So, and that makes sense because if the parents are involved in any way, you don't want to add pressure to the child. But, Mm -hmm. um, I didn't remember that until Benson said that. Um, the, uh, the mom doesn't love that, but she says, yeah, fine, whatever. And Benson's being very stern. There's no niceness. She's very pissed at these parents. Like, usually there's some, um, like, a game of sensitivity, but not this time. She's just, like, pissed at these delusional absent parents. So it cuts back to Stabler uh, with the boys, and he's quoting the things the boy wrote about hurting a five-year-old. And he's like, so is this about your sister? What other five-year-olds do you know that piss you off that much? And um, the kid's facial acting is like really, really good. And he's stern as hell. And he says that his sister cooked his favorite CD in her easy bake oven. Um, So maybe both the kids are psychopaths. Like, where is this? What's (laughs) happening? He then calls Stabler a moron, which I love. I want to watch that on repeat over and over. (laughs) Like, I just... I love it so much. Um, Stabler's trying to figure out what has made this kid so angry and violent. And he says, life is very stressful. Um, So then Stabler goes, oh, stress? Really? You want to know about stress? I'll tell you what stress is. And then he starts, which I I don't think Stabler should, I don't know. But Stabler says that he arrested five men yesterday who gang raped a woman and then defecated on her. And it's like... a. 23 seasons of SVU. I don't think shit has ever been brought up and I don't understand why I had to be brought up with a child. And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) that's so true. They've gone everywhere and I don't think I've ever heard a shit story. There's never been a defecation, ever. (laughs) Amy Smart's character got peed on, which was pretty traumatizing. That's one of the like more horrific episodes. And I remember crying, like that one really always gets me and upsets me, but I- This is the only time someone has pooped on someone. But maybe it's because they're talking about it and it happens. So we don't have yeah, to Yeah, because they can't. Yeah. Like, I don't think we could handle someone on the stand being like, and then they defecated on me. <laughs> I know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's a standards and practice thing and that goes too far. Who knows? Well, this is going to be gross and maybe our listeners will be pissed. But... um I was listening to a podcast with Aiden Starr, who's a porn star dominatrix, and she was talking about her dominatrix stuff. And um, some people like, uh, you know, they like to be shit on and Mm -hmm. puked on. But Mm -hmm. she said she prefers when the people eat it because then the smell goes away. Oh, God. Because some of them eat it and you'd think that's worse to watch someone eat shit. But she goes, it's actually better for me because then the room doesn't smell like their shit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Annalise's face has never looked so sad. But <laughs> listen, he's going to say defecating and I'm not going to tell you about this. But yeah, yeah, it was just interesting. You never know what different professions really need or want from the world. Um, yeah. But she's like, please eat your own shit. It'll be easier on me. <laughs> so anyways, the dad is like, I don't know how to bounce back from that. Okay, so the dad is like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's a kid. And Stabler throws the papers of the transcripts from the chat at him and goes, your son, look what your son wrote. Like, he wants to talk like a dirtbag. I'm going to treat him like a dirtbag. It's an aggressive scene. Stabler is hot. Um, and then it cuts to Lisette, who's the little sister. And, um, you know, it's a pink room and it's my bedspread. I have this bedspread in Skokie at my parents' house. This really? Is the be- yeah, it's from Ikea. It's like pink and um, fun shades of pink flowers on the outside. And then like the other side of it is a cool pink and green flannel. And I loved oh. it. And it was like my favorite sheet. So love that my sheets uh, were picked by the props department to be in this little taste girl's room. Taste is taste, you know. 
Taste is taste. Benson mm-hmm. is asking, um, you know, if the brother hurts her. And she says that he pulled her hair once. Um, and she just wants to play. And the girl has lots of dolls, like a closet of dolls. I've never seen so many toys. I'm like, okay, so it's a full family of freaks. Like, what is happening in this household? <laughs> um, Benson asks her to show where he hurt her on the dolls. And she pulls the dolls' braids, but nothing else. And he doesn't. And she says, he doesn't hurt me anywhere else. So she asks, who does he hurt? And then she goes, Beverly and Erica. He hurt them on their crotch region. And so then Lisette starts pointing to the doll's crotch. And then Benson is like, oh God, what this is scary. We have to talk to them. Does your mom know where they are? Like, what's going on? And she goes, they're in the hospital. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, where are these girls? What hospital? What is being <laughs> hidden? What's happening in this house? Good news, everyone. It's a doll hospital. It's a doll hospital. SVU has pulled a giant prank on us. It's a giant, um, like, lavender trunk from under the bed. I'm sure it made Kara think about summer camp. And... (laughs) It's filled with dozens and dozens of mangled, fucked up dolls like the neighbor boy from yes, Toy Story. Toy Story boy, yes. Yeah, oh but God. recently it's like a wicked storyline where that boy was just like smart and an inventor and he didn't realize the toys were alive. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, how dare you hurt these living things? He didn't know. He yeah. was just like trying to be a creative kid and everyone's like, you murdering psycho. And he, yeah, he might have not been a psychopath. He could just be a, a cool inventor on Shark Tank now. Um, but all the dolls are mutilated and burned. Wait, have you read the thing about Toy Story where something happened in the files where all of Toy Story was deleted from everything? And then one woman was on maternity leave and so she had the one copy of Toy Story at her yeah. house. Yeah. And that, I read about that a long time ago. And then it's had like a resurfacing with like a meme or something that was about, it's, I think it's like on a lot of mom meme blogs yes. and shit. Cause it's like, yeah, when you're on maternity leave, you're awesome and you have files backed up. I don't really know what the point is, <laughs> but like, yes. Just like mom save the day or maybe like yeah, let more people work home. Yeah. Yeah. Let, yes. Yes. But I read one this uh, morning that was a guy, like someone fired somebody and then deleted like all her email account immediately without realizing that she had the whole business's schedule in her account and the company lost three years of their schedule. Oh my God. That's, but like, why is that system set up like that? That's, that's fucked. Wait, also, did you see the meme that's been going around where this per this person goes, I had a coworker who came back from maternity leave and I watched them highlight hundreds of emails in their inbox and then just delete them. And then she goes, if they want to find me, they'll find me. <laughs> and the person goes, I think about that woman all the time. <laughs> Love her. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Leave us alone. Um, <laughs> leave us alone. Stop emailing. No, you email <laughs> us, email us, email us. But yeah, we will read it eventually. Maybe <laughs> we reading. should we should do a trip and go to Palm Springs or something and rent a house and just e- answer every single answer email. Answer all the emails <laughs> in our email account. <laughs> Any excuse to go to Palm Springs. Yeah, that's basically it. (laughs) (laughs) So listen to this. Uh, The dolls are mutilated. They're burned as fuck. Band-aids on the crotch. Uh, Cragen now is trying to reason with the father. Like, 
your son needs help and it's not normal. Your son is not normal and he needs help. Um, and the dad does not. And he's just like, all, all boys fuck up their sister's doll. And it's like, wake up. Cragen's like, no, there's 23 dolls. They're all mutilated in the crotch region. He is an emotionally disturbed boy. And the dad goes, oh, so you're a doctor now? I just, I hate this fucking dad so much. Craigan says, no, but I don't, like, why don't we get him a psych evaluation? So, like, sign this form, and the dad says, no. And Craigan's like, so would you rather have him have a criminal record? And the dad goes, for what? And I don't know if he's playing dumb or if he is dumb, and I don't understand why he sees nothing wrong with what is happening in the world. But Cragen says, we're going to get him for terroristic threat messages. And the dad goes on an impassioned speech, which I don't fully disagree with, but he is pissed off that um, people co-op 9-11 for their own agenda. What do you, where are you going to send him? Guantanamo Bay. So again, we're like, so in 2004. Um, And Cragen goes, no, I prefer Bellevue. We can send him to the kid ward and get him a psych eval or I'm going to send him to jail. It's your fucking show. And the dad goes, no, I don't want him branded crazy. And it's like, well, too bad. Your kid's crazy. Um, Cragen says, fine, but we're not letting him go home to his sister. So it's you, it's like, we're not letting him go home to the sister. It is a threat. And if you're a threat to others or to yourself, you're not leaving this fucking station, whether you're a child or not. Bellevue or Juvie, your call, sir. Uh, Cragen is not fucking around. So after a tense moment, they cut to the bustling in the precinct and, you know, walking by, everyone's talking and they, I did not say this, but Munch walks by and says, I heard they shipped Jake. AJ off to the loony bin. And I like that. I love the word loony. And it's yeah. a it's a thing of money in Canada. Mm-hmm. Which I love. Yeah. Yeah. Loonies, loonies and, and toonies. <laughs> so cute. Um, so he's there now for a 72-hour hold. Finn walks in after talking to all the neighbors and they hate this kid. He terrorizes all the children in the neighborhood. He screams till he's red in the face. He's locked kids in utility closets before. And then they were crying in there for an hour before he let them out. And then the dad sends everyone expensive gifts to shut them up. And they're all like, fuck, we got to get a handle on him. Him. He's a ticking time bomb. Finn says, well, let's call the school and see what's up there. He reaches for the phone and I noticed there was a magic eight ball on his desk and I love that Finn has a magic eight ball. <laughs> I wonder what he asks. Like, it's what decidedly donut? so. Like, I get to... <laughs> Um, so they head over to Faulkner Preparatory School on Madison Avenue. Um, and if, do you think it's named after William Faulkner? Because like, that's a little adult. Probably. I mean, it just sounds like a lot of these prep schools that are on Madison Avenue. I used to babysit for a kid that went to like um, Fieldston. You know, like they all have these like just sort of generic-y kind of names of, I don't Authors, know. But I bet it's people. after Faulkner. I just wanted our listeners to know I know who he is, um, <laughs> to be honest. I just wanted everyone to know. I haven't sure. read in a decade, but I do know William Faulkner. Okay. <laughs> Um, so, and then we hear all of the signs and it's like, he has trouble paying attention in class. He has poor grades, inappropriate behavior. He's drawing pornographic images on someone's desk and passing around disturbing stories that he's writing. Like, these are all signs. We know the signs. And so the administrator has the story, hands it over and says, I warned the parents that he needed help and they disagreed. 
So these parents are on one. They might be Scientologists. Like, why are they so against getting this kid any sort of psychological help and preventing crimes in the future? So the school is not allowing him back next year and they want to kick him out, but it's so close to the end of the term. So they're letting it slide. Munch asks if he's ever hurt a student and the lady responds, we thought he did, but the student denies it. He pushes to know more and she explains that there was a locker room fight and the other boy, Mitchell, was fully bloody, but JJ had nothing on him, which was really strange to her because the school bully is Mitchell. Cut to PE class, dodgeball. So they're in dodgeball. Munch, of course, hated dodgeball. Finn loved it. Perfect, perfect characterization, I would say. And I miss dodgeball. Should we like do a dodgeball party? Oh, you miss it? Having like a ball smacked at your body? Well, I'm really good at catching balls. Yeah. Yeah. So I would catch him. I was someone that was like sliding and catching. I was good at it. <laughs> I was like the kid at the end. I was last man standing more than one oh, time I in my life. I love it. Yeah. I don't think, I think I, um, I'm I'm not, not I have good eye-hand coordination. Like I can catch balls, but I think like the way that guys would just like whip it at you so fast, I was like scared. Like I would just be like, just hit me and I want to get out. Like I would let myself get out <laughs> oh, so yeah. I could go to the side. I was like, yeah, I'm done. You, I know why. I know exactly why you wanted to sit on the sideline to fucking talk to people. Yeah. You sat on the sideline <laughs> gossiping. You know it, bitch. <laughs> I love, now I'm just picturing you in all the pictures I've seen you tiny, like sliding on the floor to get a dodgeball. And it's really making me giggle. No, I tried hard in PE. I remember like I would, because I, I was never good that good at stuff, but I still tried. And I really wanted to get under eight minutes or at eight minutes for the mile. And mm. I do remember getting made fun of by the cool kids that walked it and didn't give a shit because I wasn't good at it. It's not like I was running and people were like, look at her go. I was struggling, red in the face, but trying so hard. And for what? To sit I think my fastest class. smile ever was 8.30. I think that was That's my fastest good. ever. And I was like so proud of myself because I used to get like 10, you know? Yeah, I was 10. My goal was always to get like around eight minutes. Like I just wanted to have an eight minute mile. And now, you know, nothing matters and we might die in a nuclear <laughs> war. But <laughs> little Lisa wanted to run the fucking mile. Um, maybe it's because my dad was an athlete. I don't know. Um, whatever. So Munch says he was very skinny and people would yell, break the pencil. And he was a walking bruise. <laughs> Baby Munch. <laughs> Baby Munch. So they pinpoint Mitchell um, and he's large and in charge. So we know it's him. He's he's going to be beating down some kids. So Finn bounces. This is like wild to me, but Finn bounces the red ball on this kid's head. <laughs> and grabs him by the back of the neck to lead him away. But yeah, I get that he was a bully, but he was the victim. He got beat up. He was bloody. <laughs> He's just paying attention in gym class. Like, what? But he also, what does he say? He goes, boom, you're out or something like that, <laughs> yeah. right? He says, like, he's like sassy and like, like, yeah, I don't know if that, you don't, I don't grab know. a by the back of the neck, but that's what happens when kids look older, I guess. But he hasn't done anything wrong yet. Yeah. Um, but also, wouldn't you want Ice-T to bounce a red ball on your head? I know I would. <laughs> um, so they're having a quiet interrogation moment on the stairs and Mitchell's explaining what happened. So JJ's, someone took JJ's towel off in the showers just for something to do. And in quotes, someone, I'm sure it was him. And he might've gotten snapped by some wet towels or two. Oh, you know, just good fun, the bully says. And Munch goes, ah, yes, getting pelted by Neanderthals in the private sounds like a blast. <laughs> I'm telling you, this episode has so many little gems. <laughs> 
JJ went postal, he says, wailing on Mitchell. He had bruises, a bloody nose, busted lip. And Finn's like, okay, but why didn't you fight back? And he says, I was freaked out. Munch asks why. And this is what happened. The whole time that he was beating the shit out of Mitchell, he JJ was screaming rape. So now, you know, the men look at each other like a cartoon, like, uh, uh, uh. so now Benson's standing and lecturing the rest of the squad, like, duh, how did we miss this? Explosive rage, sexual acting out, sliding grades, behavior and personality issues, classic signs of being molested. And I am disappointed in the squad that they didn't put it together earlier. Um, And now it's like, well, who fucking molested him? Maybe the family, since they refuse to get him any help or be honest about anything. We find out he has absolutely no friends and the dad's running interference the whole fucking interview. So obviously, you know, he He's up to no good. So they're going to accuse the dad of molesting this kid, and I don't think he's going to take it well. Benson says, I, I have a feeling the mother knows about it. She has major guilt issues. Like, we have to get to the bottom of this. Stabler kind of admits fault for once in his life and says maybe he was too hard on the kid and... Yes, you are wrong. So now we send in BD Wong, George Huang. Hello, baby. He enters the chat. He's at Bellevue and he asks JJ, how do you feel? And he has a great answer. I'm in an insane asylum. How do you think I feel? This kid's a genius. Uh, (laughs) He's so funny. He asks if he's angry at someone and he says his parents because they let him end up there and they are lame and they don't care about him. And BD Wong goes, well, have they let you down before? And JJ says he can't say. He then gets up and slides all the shit off the table. All the toys are like an in-kid interrogation. And he's like, I'm not allowed to talk about it. And Juan goes, well, why not? And he says he can't talk about anything because there's a deal and a contract in place and he can't talk about it. And the parents signed the contract. But Juan says legally there's not a contract that can cover up a crime. Is that true? Yeah, like, is that, like, if there's, there's, I feel like NDAs cover up crimes all the fucking time. Yeah, so I'm like so, really, because Huang does, like BD Wong said that most of the stuff, it's, I mean, it's real research. This is the Neil Barriers. Yeah. So it has to but be But it's true. possible. But I think what also what he's probably trying to say is like, you can't sign an NDA, so you can tell me anything you want. Like nothing you tell me is like going against an NDA because you're, you're you know, you, you're not old enough to sign these things. But if you're an adult and you settle out of court and sign something and then talk about it and a crime was... Like, I want... I'm, like, very curious. So, any lawyers, anyone that's in this realm, please hit us up. Let us know what you know about NDAs and children and contracts not being able to cover up a crime. So, then Huang is so good. He goes, they are not protecting you. Why are you protecting them? Tell us, JJ. Tell us what happens. And JJ says he was at a sleepover with a bunch of kids. A lot of kids were there, but he was the only kid who got to sleep in the treasure room, um, which is whose bedroom? Whose is it? Who's, who's, who's? It's Billy. And Huang asks, what did Billy do? And he says, well, there were like pajamas laid out for JJ and Billy helped him undress. And then I'm like so sad. And then JJ starts crying. And all of a sudden you just feel so sad for this kid you thought was just like a violent asshole. Yeah. But, I mean, I knew that I knew it the whole time. I've seen this, but you yeah, know, I'm trying to put <laughs> it does pull out your little heartstrings, though. It does. Like, Cause you're like, what a, you are kind of like what a little shit, even though he's funny. And then this is like sad to see him kind of break. And it's usually life. I mean, there are people that are just assholes, but it's like most assholes are sad. Maybe. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. You don't... I'd have to cut that. Okay. No, I think that's <laughs> true. Most assholes have something going on. 
Yeah. To just be pure asshole with like, but you've had a perfect life. I don't know. That's kind of hard to find. Um, today I went to A Block to get some cold brew and I think they could tell I was having a rough day and she gave me a free cookie and I was like, that's not a good sign. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I got to put on a bra and brush my hair because (laughs) these people are giving me cookies. I'm getting free shit. There's a problem. (laughs) Yeah, there's a problem. She's like, I think you need this. And I go, okay. You're not wrong. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) You're not wrong, honey. Um... Huang says, I'm so sorry your parents made you keep this secret for so long. How is he? I love Huang. I mean, what an angel on this planet. Um, But, you know, it's so good that you get it out now. And he's crying. And he says, he touched me. He made me touch him. And then he told his parents. And then his parents got rich. So what is that? So what ha- So what we find out is Billy owns a company that his dad used to work for and he paid them so much that they never have to work again. And then there was like a super, super long break in the Hulu. So I'm assuming this is like where a commercial is. And um, I have to tell you, I was watching this and writing in a, in a cafe in DC and this woman who was clearly mentally um, not 100%, but the, the restaurant knew her, everyone knew her, but she was past, she brought in little chocolate carrot umbrellas and was handing them out to people. And I was sitting there being like, if this bitch does not give me a little carrot umbrella, I will die. And she did. She had, she came up, she goes, I see that you're working really hard. I have a present for you. And she gave me a little carrot umbrella. So just know while I'm watching this, I'm watching this woman and she, um, like out of her purse, she brought a stuffed panda and put it on the desk and was talking to the panda. (laughs) And everyone kind of knew her at the cafe. And so like I was watching her with, yeah. So she was gifting everyone little carrot umbrellas, talking to the stuffed animals, um, ordering a salad. And, you know, so that's what was happening as I was watching this little boy. I love this. Sounds like the beginning of an SVU too. (laughs) Then she gives a carrot to like a kid who's like traumatized and they collapse, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Or she's the only witness, but she's not a credible enough witness because because she talks to a panda. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They're like, did anybody else see the crime? She's like, only my little panda. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the other, there was like a lot of older women sitting alone at this cafe. And then like, they all had a competition with her. Like, it was just a really fun dynamic. <laughs> um, and I was lucky to be there. So we're back from the commercial break and my break of talking about carrots. And... um So the commercial break comes back to a photo of the dad taped onto the work board at the precinct and Stabler is chatting. We find out Billy's last name is Tripley and his toy company, Tripley Toys, did $1.7 billion in sales last year. So this is like obviously a very successful company. Um, Billy's full name is William Tripley. He's 35, never married, clean slate. He's inherited the company from daddy um, and he doesn't do any of the work, but he takes in most of the profits. And Jeremy, the dad, got $2 million when he left, um, but he was only middle management. So it's not like he was a CEO and got a severance or a big like peace out package. He was middle management. Then he got another million dollars the next year and another million this year. So he's getting lots of millions. And this Billy guy gives tens of millions of dollars to mostly children's charities. So he has deep, deep pockets for kids. Um, so <laughs> there's just in my notes. <laughs> it's literally like in Lisa's notes, there's just a timeline of what's going on with the carrot panda lady. It's like, okay, I got a carrot. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, but the lady was like, I love your hair and outfit, but I was going to the airport. So there's no way. I was wearing my ice, <laughs> I was wearing my iced tea sweatshirt and a high bun. Like there's no way she was like, wow, you dress amazing. I'm like, this iced tea sweatshirt and sweatpants, cool. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. I know we have a lot more to get going, but I have questions. Where does the chocolate factor into the carrot umbrella? It, it the so I think it's an Easter candy. So it's like. The, there's chocolate and then it's like uh, the wrapping is uh, orange carrot and then the top is a green little hook. So it looks like a carrot umbrella, but okay. it's hazelnut chocolate. Okay. I th okay. I was like, it's, it's chocolate. Carrot is dipped in chocolate. I was confused. Well, because okay. the first time I saw it and heard it, because I knew I wanted to pay attention, she went up to a woman next to me and goes, guess what? I have an umbrella for you. And the woman <laughs> looked confused. I looked confused because... You know, umbrellas are bigger. And then she took out the little carrot umbrella. And I was like, I see what you're doing here. So. I cannot. <laughs> I know. Um, I have to work out in the world more often. It was it's like <laughs> you uh, do see funny people. It's like what I miss about world. New York. We don't see as much crazy in LA because we're not out in the world as much. Well, also, this neighborhood is so insular that like if we just see the same AT like a thousand people over and over again. Like yeah. I, I there's just we're always at the same places in this neighborhood. <laughs> So Benson says there's got to be more victims out there. I mean, this rich motherfucker, like there's more out there. So how do we weed them out? How do we find people? And Stabler goes, no, let's pick them up right fucking now. And Cragen says, in a, in a twist of events, Cragen goes, good idea. I'll get Novak a warrant right away. Let's, let's fucking go so he doesn't have any time to hide anything. And they go to visit him at his home at Four Sutton Place. Uh, Stabler is standing next to a little boy mannequin wearing a German yodel outfit. And Stabler says, Lederhosen, Guilty. <laughs> Who wrote? I, I, that's the funniest line in the show history. I like cannot. I want to get that. Might be my tattoo because I really want to get eventually like a heart tattoo, traditional with something SVU in it. And I was gonna do done done, but I might get leader in guilty. But <laughs> <laughs> and have to explain this full episode to everybody. <laughs> yeah. I also feel like Lederhosen has way too many spelling errors hidden in there. Like you can't mm. trust someone to spell Lederhosen forever. <laughs> Um, and this house is soda fountains, arcade games, toys, but he doesn't have kids. So, uh, and then Finn brings up a good point. He goes, well, he does make toys at his job. Like he could just be working. Like these could be toys and testing toys. He owns a toy company. So then Finn goes, animal alert. And I started laughing so loudly and a lemur arrives. Like, cause we're, we are, it's always about Kimba, Kimba and the dog and the, this, I mean, the, the, the dog. It's a gibbon, um, but to see a lemur. And so the lemur starts running around and scaring Munch. And it's like, <laughs> and then a, a lady in a classic maid outfit is running up and goes, oh, that's the lemur. Don't scare it. And it's like, <laughs> I just love animal. I just, so fun. Um, and they're like, geesh, I wonder what he's doing with this endangered animal. And the maid goes, how dare you? Don't talk shit about Mr. Ripley. He is a saint. And Stabler is like, well, has there any ever been anything kind of questionable? And she says, no. And there are 10 servants on staff and you can ask them. And Did I've she never say servants? Yes. I, that's ah. my next note. She called herself a servant, which doesn't happen. It's very Ramona, Real Housewives of New York. Like, yeah, it's, housekeeper, lady of the house. Like, I've never heard someone call themselves a servant. Right. So Staff, like something, yeah. Yeah, no, she said all these servants. So Stabler says, well, we've heard about a secret treasure room. And she says, that's no secret. That's every child's favorite place. And they enter straight up a pirate fantasy. And Munch says, 
pervert ahoy. I mean, <laughs> it is really like, do we know who wrote it? This episode's too good, the writing. <laughs> it, it's so funny. Um, and so it's a pedophilic pirate motif. Then Finn says, what do you got to do to get booty from his treasure chest? And it's just like JJ described where he was molested three years ago. And there's a, like a whole closet filled with themed pajamas. And uh, Finn says, bag him up. And hopefully there's some dirty laundry in the dirty laundry. I Like sayings after sayings after sayings. But this one's more sad. It means, you know, semen on children's pajamas. We don't love that. Um, so tons of press is going wild as Stabler's walking an arrested Billy out of the Tripoli toy business. We hear a lawyer say, don't worry, Billy. We'll get you out in a few hours. It's Chauncey Zirko. Hello, bro. Um, mm-hmm. And he's just talking about how people are trying to cash out and then he helps kids. And this is outrageous allegations and lines. And he's going to sue people for slander. And Stabler says, you're not threatening witnesses live on camera, are you? And he's like, you're not trying to trample my First Amendment rights, are you? We're in interrogation. Billy tells Chauncey, tell them I would never hurt a child. And Stabler's like, um, yeah, I could hear you. I'm right here. I did spell <laughs> here wrong, Kara. I see it and I'm sorry. They do a back and forth. Well, I'm humiliated. (laughs) I don't want you to think I'm like ignorant. Um, They do a back and forth and he goes, I didn't do anything wrong. And then it's a, yes, you did. No, I didn't. Blah, blah, blah. It's an interrogation. We know how it goes. And they're like, you've spent like $4 million giving this guy money. Like, what are you even doing? He says that money wasn't about molestation. It's about business. So the detectives asked to see the paperwork and Chauncey says they can't show them, but it was a toy patent situation and that they bought a toy patent from the father. Stabler says it's a bunch of crap, but it is a pretty good lie. And it's like that, you know, it checks out in theory. Yeah, like why you would get a lump sum. Yeah. Yeah, like everything. That's the thing. Like everything kind of makes sense. Like, yeah, that's why you have toys in the house. You're a toy factory guy. Oh, you could have paid him for a patent. That makes sense. Like, you know, this guy does have a defense building that is not super out of like the realm of possibility. Benson says, you're telling me a nine-year-old boy didn't sleep over at your place. And he goes, kids sleep over at my house all the time. And then Stabler goes, okay, and how often do you sleep in the same bed? And he admits it. He's like, says the quiet part loud. He goes, all the time and smiles. And his lips have a sheen on them that make me really uncomfortable. It's like a really shiny lip. Um, And he has spiky, weird hair, very thick eyebrows. And it seems like they put powder on his face to make a Michael Jackson vibe, I feel. Yes, for sure. Yeah, right? His skin (laughs) is white. It's undeniable. (laughs) Yeah. And he goes, yeah, what's wrong with that? And Benson sternly must remind him, like, you're a 35-year-old man. And he says, I would kill myself before I would do anything to hurt a child. And Stabler has a very correct rebuttal. And he says, pedophiles never think they're hurting children. You're just loving them, right? And he goes, yes, but not in the sick way you're saying. Um, and he says, there's nothing more natural or beautiful than loving a child. And Chauncey goes, okay, okay, okay. I think we're done here. I think we're done. (laughs) We're done talking. And they say, not so fast. We're booking Billy and we're going to trial. And Stabler says, and if you really actually care about kids, you'll settle out of court so they don't have to like, um, testify. And done, done. We're at the judge's office and the judge is played by 
Philip Bosco. This is Judge Joseph P. Terhune. He died in 2018 at 88 years old, a nice, luscious life, and he's been in six episodes of SVU. Novak and Chauncey are um, chasing the judge around the office. And, (laughs) you know, it's basically, they're like arguing about the case. They're doing their job. We have enough evidence. No, you don't. JJ's crazy. He's crazy because he got molested. What's happening? Is there no? And then the judge says, we are going to trial. There will be a jury. And that is what's happening. But then Chauncey, see, you know, isn't done. And he thinks that Huang did the interview. Is It's wrong because he didn't say he was in the FBI, but he was just asked, acting as a doctor. You don't have to say he's FBI. And the judge goes, I'll look into this and I'll get back to you. Um, and Novak also has something. And she goes, I can write up a motion too. And she says that the defendant made bail and is still entertaining children at his home and that's fucked up. And the judge does look horrified and is like, um, ex- like, stop, get the kids out of the predator's house. Yeah. The defense attorney, Chauncey, I love saying Chauncey. So then Chauncey says, well, we these were pre-organized and planned charity events. And I don't think that sick kids should have to suffer for bad behavior of one. And the judge is like, okay, but that's it. And let's side on the air of caution and no more entertaining children. He is being charged for molesting children. Like, <laughs> seems Why? fair. Seems fair. And, you know, supervised only, please. So we are now at a giant, giant kids party. There's another animal. There's a baby lamb. I know it's reductive. <laughs> a lamb is a baby sheep, but it's a baby lamb. Redundant. <laughs> what did I say? Reductive. Reductive. <laughs> So there's lots of presents and balloons and Stabler and Benson crash the pedophile gathering. Billy is wearing a wild pirate hat. <laughs> like, why did they make this episode so funny? I Nothing just, that has happened has made Billy rethink anything about his life. <laughs> he is doubling down. He is in a hot pirate hat and he is like, our mateys, get into the treasure room. <laughs> So basically some neighbors called in because they were disturbed as they should be with the child molester having a child's party there. And Stabler says, what are we celebrating? They lower the age of consent. (laughs) I mean, it's so funny. Um, And he turns uh, it on them and goes, that's not funny. Um, And the detectives turn around to leave and there's not really much of a fight and there's nothing anybody can do. So they went down just to burn him a little. So they just came to insult him and leave. Maybe grab some candy on the way out. Um, But on the way out, an older woman stops them. And she says, you have to be wrong about him. You're wrong about him. And Stabler says, what? He donated a ton of money to you? And she says, no, I just met him today. I wrote him a letter thanking him. And he invited us here with my granddaughter, April. And we meet April. She's a really sick kid. Dark circles under the eyes, a big bandana on her head. You know, it sucks. Her life is sad. She is sick and it's the best day of her whole life being at this like amazing party. So Munch is back at the squad room. Like what kind of parents would let their kids around such a sick freak? And Finn goes, it seems like they don't give a shit if they're getting a handout or maybe some are naive and they are blinded But what's going on. And Novak runs in with a VHS in her hands so you know something's good. And it's baby JJ. And he's in front of a bunch of lost style books and there's an adult hand in the frame, but we don't know who it is. And JJ is recanting the whole story. He says it was a lie. He was never touched. He was kind and he's so sorry about all the lies. 
And then suddenly there's like a bang, 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 bang. And Stabler and Benson are trying to get into JJ's family's house. And they're like, where is he? What the fuck? Like, we got to get him. And the mom opens the door like, what do you want now? And Benson goes, what did they do? Did they threaten you for breaking the non-disclosure? You have to pay back the money. Like, what are you doing? And the mom goes, Shh, lower your voice. People might hear you. And that's the mom's vibe the first time too. That's why she wants the door fixed so quickly. She's like, this has to be done by tonight. The neighbors will see. Like, she's very concerned about it appearances this mom. They're definitely trying to set that up, I feel like. Yeah, waspy. Mm-hmm. Wasp vibes. I didn't yeah. ca- I didn't connect that with the door. That's really good. Because she just keeps saying, people are going to hear you. Yeah. Um, the dad comes to the door angry as hell and goes, he's not here. He's at a place you will never find him and slams the door in their faces. Then there's a classic walk-in talk with my favorite characters, Benson, Stabler, Novak. They're talking business. There's no clues. Like, what are we going to do at trial? Like, wh- what happens now? Like, dismiss the case and this pedophile runs free. Like, they really need a new plan. Well, basically, they tell Novak, you better find a way to do this without JJ. Or we got to get JJ. But Novak gives a determined face and they really want to, like, put this guy away. We open on Novak in a fancy restaurant with Marlo Thomas, (laughs) a.k.a. Judge Mary Clark. Marlo says, without a complaining witness, you can't go to court. And Novak does know that, but there's witness tampering. But you can't prove it yet. So, like, what are we going to do? And you have to prove that he recanted under duress. Can you do that? And then Novak drops a bomb. Um, and it's like, why didn't you mention this sooner? But Huang said that JJ can identify a birthmark on Billy's penis. But she says it way too loud. And then everyone around at the restaurant stares at them. And then Marlo <laughs> Thomas has to go, oh, um, she doesn't get out much, which is true. We've seen the amount of paperwork she gets. More She's comedy. Working. More comedy. Yeah. She doesn't get out much. <laughs> But yeah, and I've done this because we forget, especially as caught, like I, I, this has happened to me where people are like, please stop screaming cunt so loud at this restaurant. <laughs> I just looked at my phone and it's 11-11. Holy shit. Everyone whoa, make a wish. Whoa. Our intuition's on fire. Okay, so I'm t- did I not tell you up top how funny this episode is, even though it's about <laughs> child molestation? Like they just cram the comedy. Um, but yeah, Novak's got a lot of paperwork and softball. She doesn't have time to party. <laughs> Novak is so passionate and pissed, though, and is like, if any jury heard the boy's statement, Billy would be guilty. But it's not the case. Casey, stop. You're wasting all of our time. Like, we need more. Marlo brings up the Eighth Amendment. Like, you know you have to confront, you get, you have a right to confront your accuser, which I don't really love that. It's just like, it was probably written by criminals, a.k.a. the people that started our country, because... <laughs> Like, to force a victim to have to confront the person that, like, did terrible things to them, that's only for the criminal. Why aren't we protecting the victims as much? Yeah. All the amendments are to protect bad people. Like, even pleading pleading the fifth, it's like, or the ones where if you're married, you don't have to tell on your spouse. Like, everything is protecting bad people. It's strange. Mm -hmm. I never kind of put that together. Casey is like, well, we can't just let rich people get out of justice with fancy NDA agreements. And Marla goes, bingo. Actually, baby girl, that's the key. The In the NDA, like, the parents, did they use his name? If the boy's name is in it, that can give you a clue to get this guy. Legally, a minor cannot be in a binding contract. But also, the guardians have to be acting in his best interests. And if they weren't, then, you know, that's not good. Um, And this is a very legally blonde moment, I think. Like, well, why this sperm? Why this? You know, it's a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Um, So then Marlo goes, we need to get 
JJ, his own lawyer that's not also working with the parents. And she goes, I know just the person. And it's like, oh, who's it going to be? <laughs> um, and so then we're at court and uh, Peter Herman, a.k.a. Trevor Langham, a.k.a. Mr. Hargitay, he is representing the father <laughs> and JJ or whatever. Um, and Novak is fighting it going, we need to get another person. And the judge actually agrees. And the judge goes, okay, well, wh- who who's going to represent JJ? And Marlo Thomas is in the courtroom and gets up and goes, I'll do it. And so she volunteers for the job and she bounces up and she looks rich as fuck. And the judge and her are good friends. Oh my God, he says, Mary. And Peter is threatened. Like, excuse me, what is (laughs) happening? Um, But he is honored um, and she reps the son and she walks up to the dad and introduces herself and says, I'm JJ's lawyer and I'm going to need that document. Thank you. And Peter knows what they're up to. You know, all these shady ass fucking people, but he's not happy. And we get a drinking game. If you're drinking right now, he is so lucky and he gets to say fishing expedition. So take a shot. Take a shot, honey. (laughs) I mean, I want to take a shot. Okay. Um, Marlo, because, you know, there's 45 minutes left of this episode. And (laughs) (laughs) so then Marlo, like, goes at the dad and is like, we want to talk to the kid. Like, we need the kid. And the dad goes, no, the kid doesn't trust or like you. And he actually brings up a good point. He goes, all of you guys, all your ADAs and all of you, you broke our doors. You arrested him. You threw him in the nut house. And then he told you what you wanted to hear. That confession isn't working. Like, you guys did all of this fucked up shit to get this confession. And... That is a good point. That's what I mean. The defense has, like, the bad team has really good points and moves and stuff where, yeah, like, he didn't want to be, he wanted to get out of the nut house. He'll tell you anything you want to hear. Okay, but also in this scene, do you see that the dad looks like Mr. Incredible from The Incredibles? I didn't, has but now I could see it, yes. a large jaw. Like, yeah. this man is Mr. Incredible, but not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> you love him. Um <laughs> And the dad goes, and you're never going to find him. He's hidden, he's safe, and you will never get to him. And Marlo pushes him and goes, well, if he recanted on his own volition and he only said that nothing happened because we pressured him and he felt threatened by all of us, then why are you hiding him? And he denies hiding him and goes, he just needed to get away. And it's just... It's just sad and it's annoying and it's all jumbled up. And the judge says, get the boy and I will talk to him alone. And that's how I'll make a decision about everything. And the dad says, no. And Marlo's like, do you want to go to jail or what? And so then it's Marlo, Novak, and Maloney and they're scheming of what to do next. And they put the dad in jail, um, you know, to he says he's doing it to protect his son, but they know they're doing it to protect the money. And if he was protecting his son, we wouldn't be in this mess. And so the dad goes to fucking jail. And Marlo says, I'm going to keep him um, in jail until the boy is 21. So basically, like, until he materializes the boy, he has to sit in jail. And I guess he's a kid until 21 in the state of courts. So Stabler goes, oh, that's why they call you a hanging judge to Marlowe. And she goes, wait, who says that? (laughs) And I love that too. (laughs) Um, Novak says, fuck the dad and let's find him ourselves. And Stabler goes, okay, uh, we're trying, we can't. And Marlowe says, well, I work in a fancy law firm and I'll get you guys PIs. We have PIs on retainer. But I think that's kind of insulting to tell detectives, right? I don't know. I think it's kind of like we just have like someone that can be dedicated to this. Ostensibly, we have to believe that Stabler and Benson are working on 17 other cases at the same time, like in reality, you know? So I think she's just like, we can give you guys that this will just be what they're working on, so. 
Yeah, so we have PIs now looking for JJ and Munch walks in with the paper and the PR machine of of Billy Tripoli is spinning it like JJ is crazy. Um, And, you know, big bucks equals PR equals spin. So nobody can find him and now everyone thinks he's nuts and this guy just has so much fucking money. A nondescript white man with gray hair and no features that are unique and special in any way at all. Like, I don't even remember what he looks like. Walks up to Benson and says, I was told to find you. And they talk a little bit and he says that he runs a program for terminal patients um, and, you know, he gets them ready for death and he's a therapist and he was counseling a nine-year-old girl with leukemia and he thinks that she was molested by Billy Tripoli. So now we rush over to the apartment of Nora Hodges and it's the mom from earlier. If you guys remember when uh, Benson and Stabler went to bully Billy at a party. <laughs> There was an old woman who was calling him a saint uh, with her sick daughter. And so that's who we're talking to. Yeah, granddaughter. Thank you so much. And she's drama, drama, drama. She's like, of course, like, oh my God, it's all my fault. I'm so stupid. And Stabler is like, yeah, I mean, it is your fault. You left, if you left your kid alone with this man. And she's, uh, we find out she's seen Billy twice since they bumped into each other at that party. And where are April's parents? Uh, The father was never in the picture. And then, you know, unfortunately, the mom got mixed up in drugs and alcohol and abandoned April when she was born. So it's just grandma and granddaughter. And she's at chemo during the day. So now she's sleeping. And now Nora's at the precinct with... um, with April and Olivia and everyone's there and Olivia gives her a juice box but she's like I don't know if I'll be able to keep the juice down and it's really Aww. sad yeah. um, that she can't even but she needs to hydrate so the grandma's like well you have to hydrate a little even though you might puke it all up and it's just sad and her bandana is giant over her <laughs> tiny tiny little yeah. bald head she starts explaining what happened. She says there were tons of kids there and they played games and it was fun. And the mom and the grandma interrupts and says she got overexcited and she had to nap. And and then what did he say? And she's coaching her a little bit. But since she was tired, she said, she, you know, I would love to take a nap. And other kids napped there and everyone was napping. So he took her to the special room, the treasure room to nap. And he she picked out a present. Everything happened, whatever. A molestation went down and she was abused and it sucks and it's sad. So Cragen and Novak and Huang are spying through all of this. And then before we see that, like the little girl's nose starts bleeding. So she's like talking about being molested. She gets so sad. The grandma's yelling because she's annoying. But like also your granddaughter just got molested. And then the nose is bleeding and just all around a really sad situation. And it gets worse when when Huang says that kids with disabilities are twice as likely to be abused and more because they're more likely to comply and less likely to report. Like, that makes sense, but just a fact I didn't need to hear. Just so sad. Yeah, and Novak's like, well, that makes sense. Billy is surrounded by sick kids all the time. Like, we need to fucking get this guy. But they, then they have to discuss pedophiles are into boys and girls. And Huang sent shivers down my spine saying, well, at that age, it's more about the hairlessness. Ugh. Kill me. <laughs> yeah. Um, And the innocence. And they talk about, like, you know, he has a Peter Pan vibe. Did you hear about the new Peter Pan theory that I saw, I read on the internet? No. Someone said, what if Captain Hook was actually a good guy? Because he only went after Peter Pan, none of the kids ever. And maybe he was trying to stop Peter Pan from kidnapping children. (laughs) (laughs) He was trying to stop him from having all the lost boys? Yeah. Well, I don't know. Just, just a thought. <laughs> just I, a theory. So just Captain a Hook is Stabler and Peter Pan is a 
child molester. So now we jump to Melinda. Finally, baby, we missed you. Um, and she's with Billy and she's being so mean to him. And I love it. She's plucking <laughs> hair out of his head from DNA and she needs tons of it with the root and he's screaming police abuse. <laughs> uh, and... Um, and that this there's another funny moment where um, Stabler goes, oh, if it was police abuse, trust me, you would feel it. And Billy goes, is that a threat? Melinda, did you hear that he threatened me? And Melinda goes, nope. And <laughs> <laughs> now open your mouth wide. So she looks stunning in a half up, half down situation with her hair. And Maloney's trying to rile Billy up and they have like this back and forth about the treasure room. And he goes, I haven't even been back into the treasure room since you ruined it for me. And Melinda has no time for anything. She has dead bodies to go examine. She goes, drop your pants. I need a pubic hair sample and I'm going to need 10 of those. And so now she has to do that, but he has no pubic hair. And um, they're like, I guess we have to wait till it grows back. And he lasered it off. And so he takes off his pants and there's absolutely no pubic hair. And now they're just taking photos of his, you know, hairless dick. Yikes. <laughs> now, Benson is looking at the pics at the squad room with Maloney and says, wow, it keeps getting freakier and freakier. And I love the way she says freaky. Uh, they got some info that JJ might be in Maine, so they're working on that. But also, April, the sick girl, never mentioned the birthmark on Billy's dick. So they're like, oh, and, and Benson says it's because the girl had her eyes closed the whole time. So then Novak comes in with a giant bombshell um, that Tripoli's legal team hired a PI to follow April and Nora and caught Nora stealing on a security camera. So now all the newspapers say shoplifting granny. <laughs> and now granny is an interrogation. But it's only $200 worth of clothes. So like, who cares? I don't know. I don't get it. Um, they, it's like, they're going too hard on clothing theft. You know, Like, yeah, clothing theft doesn't matter. You would not be sitting in interrogation for a clothing theft. Right. Um, but she goes, listen, I need to get April clothes. We don't have, we don't have any money. And if Tripoli was innocent, why would he go through all these lengths? And why are you, like, they can't, I, like, the grandma's sad. She doesn't want, you know, her mistakes to punish April. And they're like, well, it's happening. So, like, we don't know what to do. Like, he has tons of money. He's spinning everything. And she goes into this huge sob story about April and how tough her life is and how her parents were bad and sick and now molested. And that's, like, the worst threesome you can have. Bad parents, sick as fuck, and molested. I mean, that's not a good life. Yeah. Now, Craig and Novak do a walk and talk, and we learn that Melinda is processing a hair found in April's underwear. But, um, you know, he has no pubes. No one has pubes. She doesn't have any hair. So what is it? So Novak just says, like, give me the results when you have them. Now, back to more walk. I mean, this scene, this episode is so many walk and talks. So many walk and talks. Um, now the walk and talk is Melinda Benson and Stabler and something with the results just doesn't make sense. She drew April's blood just in case uh, Billy gave her any uh, STDs. She wanted to check the blood for STDs, but the blood is normal, like normal, normal. Like, hello, leukemia fucks up your white blood cells, but there's nothing. There's no sign of cancer. None. Fuck. Oh my God. Her life is getting worse. Like, and also when they diagnose children, Children um, with cancer and leuke with leukemia, the doctors take a bone biopsy to confirm it, and it's done by drilling small holes in the pelvic bone. But and those holes never heal. And April's X-rays to her hips do not have the little holes. She never had 
cancer. This fucking granny bitch is a, what is it? Swindler? Grifter? Yeah. artist? Well, it's evil like, it's, bitch. it's crazy. Like, this is truly like the fucking Gypsy Rose story 10 years before that, that story actually went down. Like, yeah. it's nuts. So we're at the doctor, we're at the hospital and it's the hot surfer doctor guy. And um, he goes- Yeah, this guy is such, like, he almost doesn't fit. Like, he fits for me as like a doctor on another show, but like on SVU, like, I've never seen a doctor that looks like this man on SVU. He's just so yeah. like, was a like I don't know. He's a he's a beach bum. He's like a Baywatch yeah. boy, like yeah. blonde highlights. Yeah, very not New York. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he says, "Thank God you brought her in right now. She would have been dead in a few weeks from mercury poisoning." <sighs> And wait, what? And so Nora was killing her own granddaughter for almost a year now. The grandma convinced her that they were too poor to go to the doctor. And so that's why like the grandma needed to give her the medicine. But she was actually using mercury to make the daughter sick because it gives the same side effects as leukemia. It stops cell growth. There's nausea, hair and weight loss. And she'll be okay. Some permanent like bone damage, but she's going to be better. And this little girl is so bald. She's in the hospital. Her voice is so sweet. And she goes, I heard Gran is the one making me sick. It's like really sad. So then they're like, she lied to you and it sucks. Um, And she lied, you know, what else did you lie about? Did you lie about the Billy stuff? And she was like, yeah, the grandma basically told her to become friends with him and to ask to nap, but she just napped on the couch. And they were like, well, how did you know what to say? And we get more. So the grandma would snip out all of the story and information from the papers about the case and made a scrapbook of articles. And that... April had to study them every single day. And then Nora would quiz her on the details of what to lie about. And she kept this book by all the cookbooks. Gran said it was her only chance to get the money to give her the medicine or that she would die. So she had to do this to get medicine to save her from leukemia. And she goes, but Gran said she loved me. How can she make me sick if she loved me? That's sad. But they did say sick again if you want to take a shot. (laughs) Um, the granny is finally in jail. Thank fucking God. And Novak's being tough on her. Like, she does not give a shit. She's like, I loved the girl. I knew it was wrong, but but something's wrong with me. And she does have an amazing defense attorney, Cleo Conrad. Um, I don't know how she nabbed her, but it's Jill Marie Lawrence, 17 SVU episodes. And she's like, honey, there is something wrong with you. Let me interject. Munchausen's by proxy, and it's not your fault. And Novak's body language language is so fuck you. She hates them. Um, And so basically she's like, okay, we got to talk triply. And the grand throws April under the bus. She straight up says that it was April's lie and that the grandma believed it because April said it. At the nerve of this woman. And then Novak, without skipping a beat, goes, we have the scrapbook. And... (laughs) It's amazing. And then all of a sudden, you know, Cleo Conrad looks nervous. Granny looks nervous. And it's um, a moment. And I love it. I do. I think it's my favorite. I call it the Martin Short moment. But I do love that one moment where the criminal knows they got got and their face just switches right away. Yeah. I really like that. It's cool acting too. Um, Everyone looks worried. Like I said, that they got caught. And um, she turns it again and is like, I'm innocent. He's a pedophile. We have to get this pedophile. 
I just, yeah, criminals. All movies should just be filled with criminals, the best actors in the world. (laughs) So, and then Cleo, sorry to say this, but she had like such nice gold hoops and this gold necklace with a pearl and I really liked it. Um, Novak does offer a deal to Cleo Conrad, but for more information from the grandma. Um, And basically they start discussing that the crime lab found a hair in the underwear. Granny said that she snuck into a room and stole it from his hairbrush and planted it on her clothing. And she's not going to admit what she did was wrong. And Novak yells at her like, well, now in the future, when anyone claims any sexual assault or rape for this guy, he's going to be able to like go back to this case and say how everyone's lying and everyone wants money and you just fucked up victims forever. And she says, I'm sorry. And Novak goes, I don't believe you. Have fun in prison. And Cleo's like, wait, 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 wait. You said a deal. You said a deal. And Novak says, "Uh uh-uh, that deal was for Tripoli, not the cancer scam. And Cleo goes, but Munchausen's, Munchausen's. And Novak does. And give a shit. She goes, bull. She's been working this for a year. $60,000 she's fucking stolen from people. We're taking you to trial. There is no deal. And she's like, but think of April. And Novak goes, that's really rich, bitch. You almost killed her. And guess what? I'm charging you with attempted murder too. And she yells in desperation, like, I'm sick too. I'm sick too. Sick again. So Novak goes, you're just a greedy bitch. And the jury's going to see right through that. Back at the squad room, Marlo walks in and they did find JJ. He's been at an uncle's house, but then they all went to Canada and escaped and they have no authority to bring him back. So now both cases against Billy have been blown the fuck up. But don't forget, the dad is still sitting in jail. And Marlo says he will not leave until he produces JJ. So, like, this dad is now sitting in jail, which he deserves it. We hate him. But, like, I wonder what, just because of the contract? Like, you're not going to be able to use your millions if you're sitting in jail. Yeah. Cragen's like, oh my God, watch this. And they turn on the TV and Billy is having a giant victory party. He invited the media. He's wearing a lot of green, green suspenders. Hello, St. Patty's Day. Um, (laughs) And he says that he's been vindicated and the children are the real winners. And then Benson goes, it's sick. You're getting they said drunk. it like five times. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and Stabler says, we will get him. We'll get him one of these chances. Like there's going to be a lot more chances, unfortunately, and we're going to fucking get him. Um, and then it ends on him just like partying hardcore with a bunch of children in his pedophile outfits. And it's probably one of the more realistic twisted endings of SVU, which is rich people get away with their crimes. So Yeah. Ugh, well, thank you for taking us through that you know, depressing, but very funny episode of SVU. Now, fill me in. Fill me in yeah, on everything. we'll be right back with the real crime. Welcome back. So, obviously, this episode is based on Michael Jackson. Everyone calls this the Michael Jackson episode. Uh, Billy Tripoli clearly has been styled to look like Michael Jackson. And he's not a huge pop star, but he's, you know, got something that would appeal to children, which is like this toy company. Um, And the money. I think the money is like the the money is huge. Yeah. I mean, Michael Jackson, the amount of money Michael Jackson had was just like out of this. Like, I don't even think we can like fully get a hold of it. Yeah, um, no one. Well, I think just like the way media is now, like who knows if anyone will be able to have that sort of a worldwide appeal. But yeah. like the mic, no, 
Michael Jackson was something that I never, that's, he's on his own thing. Yes. Like fully known on all continents, everywhere you go, icon of 20th century entertainment. Um, I don't think I need to get too deep into who Michael Jackson is. No. If you're listening and you don't know, <laughs> like, I mean, he's like a, a singer, dancer, a child star, grew up with the Jackson, uh, the Jackson family that became the Jackson Five. And, you know, was always- Yeah, wait, a, hold on. If you do not know who Michael Jackson is until you've listened to this episode of the show, please DM us. We would like yeah. to talk to you. Yeah. We would like to chat. That would be, I mean, I think maybe there might be some people that are like only in their 20s or so, or like young and might not know like the details of this because I grew up with this case in the news for me. So like, I've always like, but even going through this, I was like, learning more because I've never really done a full deep dive into what exactly the allegations were and how many there were and this and that. So, And I'm really strong. I feel strongly like I don't want to hear R. Kelly. I don't want to like give money to molesters. I don't watch Willie. But because he's dead, I feel okay listening to his music. And I don't know if everyone agrees with that or not, but in my head, I'm like, the kids are making the money now, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's complicated, but yes, this he is basically the number one. Him and Woody Allen are probably the number one like are like examples when you have the argument of like, can you separate the art from the artist? You know, like, can you listen to someone's music, watch, appreciate someone's movies when you know something that they've done is wrong or whatever? So, um, Michael Jackson was from a young age, kind of it seemed like emotionally unwell. I, I, mean, I can't diagnose him, but he was. He had well you know, from a, Gary, Indiana, who's doing yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> He famously had, you know, an abusive father who pushed them into show business. He was the star, star, star of the family, like fully. So, um, but the father was always allegedly abusive. And um, he, I think from age like five or six was in the limelight and like never really had a childhood. So for a lot of his career, his older career, he was dogged by allegations of sexual abuse um, as he was known to have young children at his home at the Neverland Ranch all the time. And they would often sleep over without parental supervision. So the Neverland Ranch is like two and a half hours north of LA in Santa Barbara County. It's massive. I'll go into more detail about it. But um, the timeline of Michael Jackson's, um, you know, sort of issues start as early as 1986. He met a 10-year-old boy named James Jimmy Safechuck or Safechuck. I don't know how you say this last name, um, but it's the word safe and the word Chuck, um, who was playing a, a Michael Jackson obsessed kid in a Pepsi commercial. And I like watch the commercial. It's like he sneaks into Michael's dressing room and he's trying on all of his stuff. And then yeah, Michael comes in and is like, hey. And it's like, it, it is indicative of how children felt about Michael Jackson throughout the 80s and 90s. Like they were really obsessed with him, the way he danced, like his worldwide celebrity, everything to do with Michael Jackson, people were obsessed with him. So um, Michael eventually befriended this kid, Jimmy, his family. The family was given gifts and trips. And then Jimmy went on tour with him and they began sleeping in the same bed. Um, So that was going on in the 80s, but there were never any allegations made. And the first official allegation of misconduct happened in 1993 and was uh, made by a 13-year-old boy named Jordan Chandler and his father, Evan, um, who accused Jackson of sexual abuse against the teen. So what happened was, in May of 1992, Michael Jackson's car broke down. So he called Rent-A-Wreck, which I literally thought was what comedians who don't have 
uh, credit cards would get. Like they take debit cards. So I just thought rent a is like the worst you can do. But apparently in the early 90s, it was like what Vanity Fair called it, LA's hip car rental agency. So whatever. I just thought it was for like loser comedians with no credit like my husband used to be because he used to do rent a So what happened was the owner of rent calls his wife and says, get over there where to where Michael Jackson's car is stalled so you can introduce him to your son, Jordan. It wasn't his son. It was her son from a previous relationship. Um, and uh, the father of the kid is actually a Beverly Hill dentist and part-time screenwriter, which I love. There's many people in the story who are one profession and part-time screenwriters. But this kid, Jordan, is 12 at the time and he's obsessed with Michael Jackson. So the guy's like, get over there so he can meet Michael Jackson. So after this meeting that happens because of a broke down car, Jackson begins calling Jordan every day. And he was essentially in love with this boy. So, um, and it's worth noting also that Jordan, even though he was um, 12, people often thought he was like 9, 10, like that he looked younger than he was. So, but the parent, well, but the parents, they didn't have like, they weren't like JJ's parents. They just wanted like the kid to meet Michael Jackson because he's the most famous person ever, right? Yes, but there's more about the mom. Like the okay. mom, the mom sort of was into like the glitzy life. So, okay. um, so when Michael Jackson first called Jordan to invite him to Neverland, it's two days after Michael Jackson has done his interview with Oprah Winfrey, and like this is coming off of a full like three-week media blitz about with Michael Jackson. Like, he's just done the Clinton inauguration. He's done the Super Bowl. He's done the American Music Awards. Like, he's fully at the top of the zeitgeist. Like, everyone's fucking talking about this man. And here he is inviting this 12-year-old boy, come to my ranch at Neverland. So just to set the scene, obviously, this kid and the family are, like, ecstatic. So on that first visit, Jordan, his sister, and his mother sleep in a guest house, which is apparently very far from the main house where Michael Jackson sleeps. And, um... One detail about Michael Jackson, about the Neverland Ranch that was in this long Vanity Fair article I read, which will be in the show notes, is that at Neverland, there was a merry-go-round that played like a virgin. I don't know why parents were not fucking running for the doors when they walked into this place, but Well, because it was like a bit, like, that's just a famous song, but it only played like a virgin. I guess that's like what it says in the article that this merry-go-round plays like a virgin. Like... I know you're friends with Madonna, but like, how about Like a Prayer? I don't know. There's other <laughs> songs we can do. How about Lucky Star? That's cute for kids. Like, let's do another Madonna song. Damn. Um, and so he bought, obviously he buys Jordan and his sister toys, takes them on like Toys R Us shopping sprees. And eventually the mom started getting gifts too, like serious jewelry. And then um, he invites the family back the next weekend. And like, um, most guests at the ranch, Jordan had to sign a confidentiality agreement that he would not speak to the press or write about anything that went on there. Um, and I don't know if that means Jordan actually signed it or if his parents signed it, because yeah, I don't know that like a 12-year-old kid is allowed to sign a, um, a document, but that that is what I, what I found when I, in my research. Um, and so on this trip, Michael took them in a limo to Disneyland and they of course got like full VIP treatment there. And then he, they started spending every weekend at the Neverland Ranch. And um, Jordan's mom and dad were estranged and Jordan was withdrawn from other kids. So obviously, you know, it's like Michael Jackson knew who to pick, you know, like he picked specific kids that had like, you know, some family fracturing going on. Um, so in March of 1993, Jordan spent four days at Neverland Ranch and there were other boys there too, including 11-year-old Brett Barnes, 
10-year-old Wade Robeson, who were also there, as well as the Cassio brothers or Cascio brothers. Wait, is Wade, that's the choreographer? Yes. Yes. Huge, huge part of this. But I will get to him. Um, So also these Cassio brothers, Eddie and Frank, who were 9 and 13, who had traveled alone with Jackson in the fall on his dangerous tour. What is happening? Like, I, who is letting children go with him while they're not even there? Like, that, I just don't understand that part of it at all. I know. I wonder if it's just, I mean, he was so iconic. Like, yeah. Well, yeah. And he was childlike. I get into it a little bit more. But um, so Brett Barnes, one of the boys who was there, like, told a TV station, like, at, um, at some point after there was, when there was investigation later, um, it's a huge bed. We all sleep in the bed, but it's a huge bed. You know, like it was no big deal. We all would sleep in it together. Um, and so then at the end of that same March, he took the whole family in a private jet to Vegas, Jordan's whole family. So there was just a lot of um, time being spent and that Jordan and Michael shared a bed while his mother and sister slept in another room in the suite in Vegas. Um, and when they wanted to sleep together the next night, the mother objected. And it's like, oh, now you're suddenly interested in doing this? Like he's already stayed at Neverland for four days. Like, it's just, like, now the mom's like, no, actually, I don't think so. And they got into, like, a little, like, skirmish, her and Michael Jackson. And he said to her, this is about being a family, not making judgments. Why don't you trust me? If we're a family, you've got to think of me as a brother. Why make me feel so bad? This is a bond. It's not about sex. This is something special. End of quote. And that was, like, good enough. Basically, at the end, he said, I'll let Jordan sleep wherever Jordan wants to sleep. And Jordan wanted to sleep with him. And so she goes, all right, good enough for me. And the mom just said, like, yeah, let's let my 13-year-old son share a bed with a 34-year-old man, which is what happened for the next three months. They shared a bed almost every single night for three months. Um, And then Michael moved in with their family in their modest little house in Santa Monica Canyon, which is kind of like near the Palisades. And then he would just chill at their house while Jordan went to school all day, like waiting for him to come home wild. So I guess, I guess actually up until this point, the Vegas of it all, the four days at the Neverland Ranch, none of the touching had started yet with Jordan. In April of that year, it starts. It starts at Neverland. And I wonder, was he trying not to do it and he was holding back the stuff? I think he was working his way up to getting him to sleep in the room with him. Because now that they're at Neverland- But they slept for three months together. No, 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 I'm sorry. That This is what happens from the end of, from April on. But now I'm talking about April, like the beginning of April. So I think what happened in the order of operations is like all of March, he spends whining and dining the family, working his way up to letting him sleep in the bed with him. And now it's April and this begins the three months. And this is also when the sexual of touching starts. Got it. In the, yeah. So, at Neverland. But can you imagine, outside of the molesting, but can you imagine like Michael Jackson is staying at your house? I mean, how do you say, I don't, like, what do you do? Like, I, that's just such a wild concept to me. I'm thinking like if it was someone now, like if Rihanna was like, hey, can I crash with you? And you're no, like, no, and what's, sure. yeah, and what's wild is like at Neverland, he's got a staff of 50 plus people that are waiting on him 24 seven, like food, chefs, you know, like everything. So it's like, why would you even leave all that to go? But I think it was like part of his grooming and part of the like, we're part of a family. See, I come stay with you. Like I'm on your turf now. You know what I mean? Like, I think that must be, must well, have been a big part of it. So diabolical because this whole thing about Michael Jackson is like he's abused and he's innocent and he's just like a childlike character. 
But then when you get to it, this is like a diabolical, evil, planned fucking pedophile. No, and there's parts later where he asks kids' parents, like, can they come with me or stay with me or come on tour with me for a while? And the parents will say no. And then Michael will say something like, well, I always get what I want. So just so you know, like, it's going to happen. Like, so it's, yeah, you're right. Like, he's, we do see him as this childlike person, but he is quite diabolical. Um... So whenever they're at the ranch now, Jordan stays with Michael and his mother and sister are still there, but they're in the guest house. But both of those buildings are very far apart from each other. They're locked at night and they're heavily patrolled by security. So like, even if the mom got like a feeling in the middle of the night, she couldn't go over and like see what her son was up to because he's locked in a building with a 34-year-old man. Um, And very, very, um, the treasure room. Michael's bedroom is connected by a secret staircase to a special guest room called the Shirley Temple Room. Yikes. Um, Former employees of the ranch said that a lot of boys were invited to sleep in the Shirley Temple Room and that they would often find the bed untouched when they got in there. So I don't know that that's like, they're just not sleeping. I don't know what's happening. And that he was so, Michael Jackson was so serious about privacy that the floor outside his bedroom was wired so that whenever anyone would come within five feet of the entrance, there would be like ringing ding-dong noises. So very paranoid, but also definitely you're doing something wrong. And what, what, what I read was that what his plan was basically was he would have these kids over and he would assault them with like, loud music, bright lights, like all kinds of shit. And then sometimes he would just molest them and hope that they would be almost too distracted by the the stuff that was going on to even notice that they were being molested because it was like huge, crazy party vibes and all this stuff while he was molesting them. But... Jordan said that Michael began, like it started with Michael rubbing up against him and eventually kissing him. And that like Michael is now taking Jordan and his family on trips all over the world. They're photographed together a ton. Um, The kid is so cute too, Jordan. And then the kid is dressing just like Michael Jackson. Like when they're on tour together, he's dressing like Michael Jackson, the hat, the glove, like the full thing. Um, On a trip to Monaco with the family, shit gets even sketchier. Michael starts orally copulating the boy, masturbating him, etc. And Jackson told Jordan, if you tell anyone, we'll both get in trouble and you're going to go to juvie. So that, you know, was explains why he's like also not telling people, but... And so did the does this family still own the Wreck-It car rental? Oh, so let me just explain the family again. Okay, so... To explain the family dynamic really quickly, Jordan's mother is named June Chandler. She's like a former model. She was married to Evan Chandler, who is his father, Jordan's father, the Beverly Hills dentist slash screenwriter. They divorced. She married the rec, the the rent rec guy. They're estranged now. Okay, so, um, so Jordan's dad is the dentist screenwriter, and he was kind of originally jazzed about this relationship and kind of thought it would maybe help him be able to like get into movies and get some of his movies made. But then he actually seems like one of the only parents that has like a fucking piece of intuition in his body because he saw his son and Jackson together and just like the vibe between them got him suspicious. And he could tell that Michael Jackson was trying to play the parents off of each other. Like Michael Jackson and Jordan would talk shit about the mom to him. And he's like, I don't really want to destroy the full family dynamic that we have of like, you know, co-parenting, even though we're divorced. And um, he thought if he, he thought Michael Jackson was doing that so that he could basically have Jordan to himself, like break his home so that he can just come with me or whatever. Um, 
So Evan uh, Chandler gets a lawyer and demands to see his son, who he starts to see less and less of. And then MJ gets his lawyers to represent the mom. And they're like these huge bulldog lawyers, like huge LA attorneys. And it's like, if this is such an innocent relationship, why do you need these huge big gun lawyers involved? And then um, Jordan's dad eventually told the lawyers what he wanted, which was $20 million from Jackson, but he said he wanted it in a trust for Jordan that only Jordan could use. So that makes me sort of feel like the dad has good intentions. If it's like he wants, he thinks his son's being molested. He wants, he doesn't want to put him through a trial. He wants Jackson punished and kept away from him. So he's like, if I can punish him monetarily, maybe he'll stop doing this to other kids. And this money will just go towards, you know, Jordan's therapy and college and whatever the rest of his life. The lawyers refused this offer. Then there was all this custody push and pull with him and his wife. And Jordan finally admitted the sexual abuse to a psychiatrist that his dad brought him to. Who, like, Because before that, he was denying it. Obviously, he thought he was going to go to juvenile hall and that everybody would get in trouble. And so his dad brought him to this psychiatrist and he disclosed. And the, so now the psychiatrist legally has to report it. So now it becomes a huge media story. That's how it hits the fan. And the dad had kept threatening to go public, but the lawyers were like, we can work this out. And we're like trying to make a deal. But they think that the dad just bringing him to the psychiatrist was the dad's way of going public without throwing his own press conference because he knew that the psychiatrist would have to like report. So um, Jordan at that point did not want to go back to his mom because he realized that his mom was in it for the glam of it all, like the like all the gifts and the jet setting and like, oh, Michael Jackson's a, pl- a close family friend of mine, you know? And Jordan was afraid that she would bring him back to Jackson. So when the authorities told June what Jordan said about Jackson, there's so many J's, she reportedly broke down and said she couldn't believe how stupid she had been. So... You know, I don't know. It is pretty stupid. Uh, Michael Jackson's lawyer, um, Anthony Pelicano, is this bulldog, like, dirty fighting lawyer who um, actually is also a screenwriter on the side, of course, because who isn't in this fucking town? And he says, quote, if it's a 35-year-old pedophile, then it's obvious why he's sleeping with little boys. But if it's Michael Jackson, it doesn't mean anything. You could say it's strange, it's inappropriate, it's weird. You can use all the adjectives you want to, but is it criminal? No. Is it immoral? No. So don't worry. Like, his lawyer is also a complete, like, delusional psycho. So yeah, like everybody thinks, oh, this is not a big deal. Michael Jackson is a child and never had a childhood. And so that's why he is just having these friendly sleepovers with kids. And I have to admit, I before I saw Leaving Neverland, I was almost a Michael Jackson apologist. I was kind of like, I don't know. I think maybe he just sleeps in bed with these kids and is weird, but like doesn't actually touch them. You know, I really kind of thought, I think I was trying to like, excuse how much I like his music. But then after I saw Leaving Neverland, I was like, I'm sold. Um, Well, because also, all right, let's take the like King of Pop part of way to permit. If you found out a 35-year-old was sleeping in a bed with a 13-year-old, you would never be like, oh, they're just sleeping together in the bed. They're not touching. Of course. Yeah, you know, it's it's a fucked up thing whether there's um, like a boundary cross. You just, why do you? go to therapy or the king of pop. Like, you don't get, <laughs> like, you don't bring a little child into your bed. Yeah. Um. So, obviously, as what happens um, in this episode of SVU, the defense paints the father, Evan, as an extortionist, just a jealous father trying to get money. And the police 
do do a raid on Neverland Ranch and Jackson's LA condo. They find no incriminating evidence. I mean, he's got a staff of 55 people. I'm sure like everything's getting washed immediately. I don't think there's stray hairs and semen lying around. You know what I mean? I don't know what. The only evidence I feel like you would find in a in a situation like this would be photographs or video. Um, but they didn't find anything. And um Jordan Chandler did give a police description of Jackson's genitals and a strip search was made and the jurors felt the description was not a match. Don't have any more info on that, but they did use this bit in the SVU episode as well. Um, And then in January of 1994, Jackson did settle with the Chandler family out of court for reported sum of $23 million. So I guess I hope Jordan Chandler is like, you know, finding some kind of peace in his life. And- well, because I'm also thinking with Neverland Ranch, like I'm sure there's hidden doors and basements and like a book that you press and it opens yeah. something else. And I wonder what how warrants work and do you get how the house has made architecture plans? Like how do you enter secret passages in a home like that? Yes. Or and it also them? seems like it would take days and days and days. It's this massive sprawling ranch. Like I don't even know yeah, how. Or he can have other buildings not in his name where he holds stuff. Yeah. Like the amount of resources this person has to hide any evidences. Yeah, he could literally Wild. have the evidence floating in a helicopter above his house 24 hours a day. Like he yeah. has so much fucking money. But that would be the opposite. That would be loud and obvious. Like that would that would not hide the pedophilia. That would be like yeah, this they'd be giant. like, yeah, but can you get a warrant for a helicopter, Lisa? That's the question. <laughs> so in 1994, prosecutors announced that they're not filing criminal charges against Jackson involving um three different boys because, quote, the primary alleged victim, end quote, declined to testify, which is presumably Jordan. And the state closed its investigation in September of 1994. At that time, Michael's sister, LaToya, who was estranged from the family at the time, said, quote, Michael is my brother. I love him a great deal, but I cannot and will not be a silent collaborator of his crimes against small, innocent children. If I remain silent, then it means I fuel the guilt and humiliation these children are feeling, and I think it's very wrong. And end quote. She claims that she saw large checks made out to the families of Michael's alleged victims, suggesting he was trying to buy silence. She also said that she's a victim of sexual abuse and therefore understood these children's pain. And later she recanted this entire statement saying that her abusive husband made her say it for money because she was getting money for interviews at the time. So who fucking knows with this family? Well, yeah, but um, I forgot where I was watching this or what was happening with LaToya, but they it's... It reminds me of the episode because of the spin thing where they made LaToya be like the crazy one, like fuck LaToya. But now decades later, LaToya was the one that was speaking the truth. Mm, Yeah. There's a reason she was like this shunned lunatic. Um, And she's RuPaul's favorite. Yeah. (laughs) And this this is the spin that they do. Like, oh, they're crazy. And it's like, okay, well, time will tell. And she wasn't. Right. Right. Um, And around this time, Michael Jackson also marries Lisa Marie Presley, daughter of Elvis Presley, which was a full publicity stunt to draw attention away from the allegations and to make him seem like a heterosexual man that likes women. And, you know, even though he really had like no relationships with women much, like he had been on like four dates in his life with women, apparently. One was Brooke Shields to an award show. One was Madonna to an award show. And these were kind of publicity stunts. And it's tough because, you know, a lot of people conflate being gay with being a pedophile, which is 
completely egregious and disgusting because they're completely two separate things. And it's just another example of how insidious these cover-ups can be because people are just like, oh, look, he couldn't be a pedophile. He's with a woman. And it's like, no, I think history has taught us that that's very untrue. But they don't say bad things about it. I mean, Brooke Shields talks about it like they dated. Maybe the contract's still enacted. Like, yeah. Yeah, who kn- I don't know. But I remember that kiss with Lisa Marie Presley at the VMAs, I yeah. think, or Grammys. Yeah. And it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch, for sure. Um, and a lot of people thought, oh, Michael Jackson never had a, ho- a childhood. That's why he loves being a child. But a woman, so this article I read said, a woman who observed him closely during the early years disagreed. I don't know what that means. Someone who somehow was connected to him said, quote, That's what I'm going to be for Halloween. I'm going to be a woman who observed him closely during the early years. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this woman said, quote, he loves childhood because he was a child star. He loves to remember it. Michael is a narcissist in the extreme. So there's, you know, different ways you can look at it. Like, oh, he just lives in childhood because that's kind of when he stopped maturing. But it's, Or it could also be like, no, that was the best time of my life and I just want to like, like relive it constantly. Well, or, also because so the stardom to him was a way to escape his abusive father too. Yeah, yeah. That way he was getting love from the public that he wasn't getting from his family, his father, I guess. Yeah. And also his love was contingent on his stardom. I'm sure his father hid him less when he was, you know, selling albums and killing it on stage. So who knows? Um, So the next scandal hits about 10 years later in 2003, right after the infamous Martin Bashir documentary aired called Living with Michael Jackson, which is what triggered the next investigation. Now, I watched this when it came on, like the night it came on and was like completely shocked by his behavior. Did you watch this? No. Oh my gosh. Like it was one of those things. It was like 2003. I feel like everybody was like, it was appointment television, like the Martin Bashir documentary. Was Everyone that was when he went to it. Vegas and went shopping and bought a bunch of like sparkly things? I think so. And he's like up in a tree with Martin Bashir. Like they're up in a tree talking. Like it's like you're, you're, I had never realized before what a child he was, like how he was like a child, a man child. Like mm. I just never. I don't know. I I liked the music videos. I I hadn't watched a ton of interviews. You know, I didn't really know much about his um, personal shit. But um, in uh, the documentary, like, was sketchy and showed other kids and stuff like that. And so Thomas W. Sneddon Jr., who was the district attorney of Santa Barbara County, who also tried to prosecute Jackson in 1993, formally charged Jackson with seven counts of child molesting involving a boy who was an overnight guest at Neverland Ranch, plus two counts of giving the boy, who was a former cancer patient, age 14, an intoxicating agent before molesting him. Now, in this case, Jackson's lawyer is Lisa... Why did I just say Lisa? I don't in know, this but case, we're leaving it in. Look, Kara mispronounces things too. How could I call you Lisa? Lisa. I don't know. In the, I'm just talking so much. In this case, Jackson's lawyer was Mark Garagos, our guy who was at the same time representing Scott Peterson. He is simultaneously representing uh, the man accused for the murder of the century with the uh, pop star accused with child molestation for the second time publicly. And this guy has represented so many people, as we've talked about, like Winona Ryder, um, the girl who dumped her baby, Holly Ashcraft. Now I'm reading more about this guy. I really want to know how that girl could afford this man. Well, because he does stuff for publicity too, right? Yeah. Like he'll yeah. take a case for it. But I don't know the Holly Ashcroft. That She was the girl who dumped her baby, tw- they they think twice, the the Skylar Fisk episode. 
Oh, whoa. Yeah. So he was her lawyer and she was just like a girl from Montana who was going to USC. So I have like no idea how she would have afforded like one of the hottest lawyers in LA. Do you think he would talk to us? Do you think we could try to book Mark Garagos? Oh gosh, I don't know. And I don't know what he'd be able to say. I don't know what he'd be able to disclose. Well, I would like to ask him, do you think he failed as Scott Peterson's attorney because he was too busy doing working on Michael Jackson's? Well, Michael Jackson later fires him because he wants somebody that's going to work on him full time. Yeah, so he took he on too many cases. Scott. Yeah. So um, he was originally represented by Garagos, but then he was fired uh, because he was too busy and he wanted the lawyer's full attention. So um, after posting $3 million bail the same day and surrendering his passport, Jackson is allowed to go free as he awaits trial. Much like what happens in the episode, he gets bail, he goes home, he keeps partying with kids. Um, So he's charged in late 2003 and it's not until February 2005 that he stands trial. The victim is identified as Gavin Arvizo, a young man who appeared in the Bashir documentary. And um, testifying on behalf of Michael Jackson in the trial are Macaulay Culkin and Wade Robeson, who is now a, by now a famous choreographer who's had his own MTV show, which I think was called The Wade Robeson Experiment or Experience, one of those. And he'd choreographed for NSYNC and Britney. And there were rumors that Britney cheated on Justin Timberlake with Robeson and that that's the subject of Crimea River. I don't know if you've ever read all that, Lisa. Of course I did. Oh, okay. Of course you have. I just was wanted to, um, when I get to shock you once in a while, it's fun. Um, so I just did find out that it is the Wade Robeson project. That was his, um, his choreo, it was like a choreography MTV reality show type thing. So, um, Arvizo 14 says on the stand that Jackson masturbated him. His brother corroborates the story. And they say, they say that Jackson gave them alcohol and showed them pornography. Um, the trial is a circus. Uh, it lasts four months. There's 140 witnesses. At one point, Jackson shows up late in pajamas at, at some point. And then this is going to what you were talking about when you were like, why are we following the woman about $200 of, of shoplifting? They were trying to get Gavin's mother too. She was apparently a little bit erratic on the stand and snapped her fingers at the jury at one point. And she was eventually, now that she's in the limelight, she gets busted for welfare fraud where she's getting like something like $8,000 in welfare fraud. I don't know what that has to do. Like, that doesn't mean that your son is... Well, welfare fraud is close, more closely related because if you're a con artist frauding the government of money, why wouldn't you fraud Michael Jackson of money? Right. I think that's different than stealing clothes, but maybe But I think stealing clothes shows a desperation for money. Got it. I guess. You know, like you need money, so you would do anything, including like having your granddaughter who's sick memorize information about a pedophile. Anyway, um, the mom looked bad, apparently, and that's what a lot of people said. And a lot of people blamed on the jury were like, what mother would let a kid sleep in bed with a grown man? And it's like, okay, yes, that's wrong. But also he did commit these crimes. So the mother did get a lot of blame. And in 2005, Michael Jackson was acquitted of all charges. So terrible. Um, And then in 2009, Michael Jackson dies famously, Dr. Conrad Murray, the propofol of it all. And then in 2013, after 20 years of publicly defending Michael Jackson, Wade Robeson tells the Daily Beast that he was actually molested by Michael Jackson for seven years, starting at age seven. And then two years later in 2015, a judge in Los Angeles Superior County Court dismisses Robeson's suit against the estate, saying he waited too long to file his claim. In 2017, that same judge dismisses the rest of Robeson's suit filed against Michael's two companies, saying that the two companies can't be held liable for Jackson's behavior. And none of these judgments address 
whether Robeson's accusations are credible or not. They just say you waited too long and this this these companies can't be held responsible. I'm also wondering if since he testified on behalf of Jackson back in the day, if that counts as um like perjury. Yes. They were like, did you perjure yourself back then or are you perjuring yourself now? Essentially, there was a lot of um one like, you know, back and forth about that. And then James Safechuck, who I mentioned at the beginning, who went on tour with Michael in the 80s, files a similar suit against MJJ Productions and MJJ Ventures, his two companies, in 2014, alleging that Jackson abused him on, quote, hundreds of occasions between 1988 and 1992. And the same judge, it's the same exact judge as in Robeson's case, he rejects Safechuck's suit in 2017 on the same grounds that they gave Robeson. Like, you waited too long and these companies are not liable for his behavior. So then in March of March 3rd, 2019, the two-part four-hour documentary Leaving Neverland begins airing on HBO. Michael Jackson's estate is obviously fuming about this, and they claim that Michael Jackson, when HBO released his uh 1992 Live in Bucharest colon the Dangerous Tour concert. When they released that, they agreed to a contract with Jackson saying that they would say nothing disparaging about him. And so essentially what's happening is the estate is claiming that that contract is still in effect. So now even though it's, God, 92, 2000, it's like almost 20 years later, they're trying to say you're still not allowed to disparage him and this documentary that you're releasing is disparaging him, even it's posthumous. So uh, what they do is they actually, his estate releases that concert on YouTube as an, it's on the same night that the documentary premieres as an attempt at counter-programming, I guess. And they sue HBO for $100 million. And in the latest update that I found from like the end of 2021, they're winning against HBO, but HBO can appeal again. So we'll see what happens with that. If they fucking gawker HBO, I will I will go after Michael Jackson's estate. <laughs> we they cannot bankrupt HBO. Do you think 100 million would bankrupt HBO? I mean, I think it would be a hit, but I don't know if it would bankrupt. You're them. right. You're you're totally right. And but maybe that's... it will go down. Maybe it will be like an agreement that's like 50 million, you know, who knows, but um yeah, it's wild. And uh, like you you think leaving, I thought leaving Neverland was this huge bombshell. There was all this information in it. So so let me describe what leaving Neverland is in case you haven't watched it. It's James Safechuck and Wade Robeson telling their stories. These are guys who defended Jackson for years on various different occasions and um, now came through and said, you know, after years of therapy and kind of processing um, and they they talk about it really in an interesting way in the documentary where they're kind of like, we were in love. Like, we loved him, you know? Yes, he like, then he started to do these things with us, but like, we didn't know. And th- it was a very loving relationship. And, you know, he was promising, at least Wade, he was promising him, he lived in Australia at the time. He was going to bring him to America, let him blow up here, put him in music videos, all this stuff. And these kids were like, could not believe that the biggest star in the world was paying them this attention. Like, they felt so special and, like, loved. And then, I think, didn't know how to process the abuse at their young ages. And then, you know, as adults, they have started to. And that's what the point of this doc is. And it just has a lot more, like, information about, like, I don't know. Not that there's a difference in these, in the different, like, levels of abuse or anything, but it's, like, Wade Robeson talks about like being anally penetrated and like horrible stuff where it's like he has pain and, you know, it's just like, it didn't seem like, it just seems like it's another level of abuse. Mm -hmm. And then um, 
And of course, I'm talking about in terms of physical trauma, not psychological. Psychological damage is obviously very nuanced and and deep in all of these cases with him. Uh, So you'd think that this was all going to ruin Michael Jackson's uh, legacy, but his album sales increased following the documentary. Like, I think the same thing happened with R. Kelly. People are sick, but like, you know, his his album sales increased. Uh, Louis Vuitton ended a collaboration with Michael Jackson, like his imagery. And I think he lost some kind of corporate stuff after this came out, but, you know, he still has a very, an estate that's very, very wealthy. So in Leaving Neverland, as I said, both of the boys describe um, loving Jackson while enduring the the abuse. They give graphic description of masturbation, oral sex, anal sex, which they claim took place at Neverland Ranch and other locations. Um, Robeson and Safechuck claim that these acts with Michael were regarded as romantic and that they did not realize that they were inappropriate until adulthood. Um, And Jackson even took Safechuck one time shopping for an engagement ring. And in the documentary, he still has it. And he's like kept it in a box. So it's it's complicated, the ties that these guys have to Michael Jackson. And um, Robeson said Jackson told him to distrust women. And both men claimed that Jackson tried pushing them away from their families and quote unquote brainwashing them. So Jackson allegedly sent these boys love letters. So it was definitely a grooming thing, but it also seemed like a courtship almost in his mind. Like he seemed to only focus on one boy at a time. Um, So even though, but who knows? I mean, we really don't know when he's having these parties with multiple boys sleeping over what's happening. Um, Yeah, like the they confirmed that there were systems set up at Neverland to prevent other people from witnessing these sexual acts. So that these guys got their word out in... uh, leaving Neverland, but I keep wanting to say Finding Neverland, which is like a Kira Knightley movie, I think. Anyway, yeah, a lot of people just thought Wade Robeson's career was on the fritz and that's why he came out with all this and that it's all bullshit. And I don't, yeah, well, you know. I wanna, you know what I want? I would love the people that say that to give me one example of someone who lied about being raped and then had a great career. Yeah. Or did get raped, came forward and everyone went, you know what? Let's give this bitch a show. I'd love to give one example of someone's life who's turned better after coming forward. Yeah. And there's just, Just when you're watching it, there's just like a, there's just, I believe them. Like when I'm watching them, I just believe them. Like they have the details, they have like the emotional gravitas. Like, it's just, it's all there. Like, you totally believe them when you're watching this. And I think that was like, when you talk about, I when I admit with my tail between my legs that I was a Michael Jackson apologist for years, I think it's because I never heard a child's voice or or an adult's voice saying what happened. And then seeing this documentary where you see people saying this happened to me, you're like, oh, I can't. How could I have ever thought that? You know, it really changes your mind. Well, it's really shocking how many people, because, you know, we cover so many crimes where it's like, yeah, the there was evidence the doctor did it and no one believed it. Like, people don't believe any of this all the time. But it's like, are you fucking dumb? Like, why aren't you concerned a grown man wants to sleep with children? Why aren't you concerned about the um the le- like the lawsuits and the settling out of court and so so much litigious shit like why does nothing but a red yeah. flag in your face like head even if you still are like i don't care maybe maybe but like to completely disregard all of this seems like willfully ignorant it's just the amount of money and the amount of celebrity he had like just a lawyer trying to spin it with like look i get how this would seem wrong if it was a pedophile but it's michael jackson like it's it's like 
I don't think it's like you said, like, I don't even know if we have celebrities that are like at this level. I mean, we do, but they're women, to be honest, like Beyonce, Rihanna, Gaga. Like we don't have like a celebrity who's at this level where they can just hide all this shit or people just overlook it because they're they're mesmerized by the fame. Like truly. Well, yeah. And like, I understand why these kids were like, holy shit. Like, yeah, yeah, I'll do, yeah, I'm gonna, like, we talk about how priests, teachers, doctors, like, all just regular professions have such impact on children and, like, um, who they're taught to respect and listen to. And then you have the most famous, talented man alive on the planet wanting, choosing you. They go into this in Leaving Neverland. I mean, Wade's mother speaks, his sister speaks, his brother, like, you know, he estranged them from their father. Like, it's like he did a lot of diabolical shit to, like, brainwash and groom these kids. And um, the mom doesn't seem like a bad mom in the doc. She's, like, she says that that Michael wanted to leave um, Wade, wanted her to leave Wade with him for a year. And she goes, no, I'm not going to do that. He's my kid. He's seven years old. Why would I do that? And Michael goes, I always get what I want. And I think they figured out, she, he figured out a way to keep them both there. Like, you stay here too. Like, and so the family all stayed. But it's like, yeah, he just was powerful in, in all the ways. And do we, and evil yeah. is what I'm learning today. Mm-hmm. I, I think I really, I, I always, I, sadly, when I was younger, I said, I bet he molested the kids, but I don't care. I'm sure that's what I would say if I was like thinking of high school aged me. Like, I bet that would be my vibe. Um, well, and people were saying he did it because he had a hard childhood or he was probably molested. You know, there, yeah. there's excuses all over the place. But sure. what I'm learning today is the evil, like the mm. evil predator, predatory nature of him that I think I ignored of like, oh, he planned this very well. Um, any updates from Macaulay Culkin? Like, has he spoken up as an adult? He broke his silence apparently around February of 2020, which is a little bit after the doc came out and said, and this was in an article that I found in the mirror. Look, I never saw him abuse anyone and he never abused me. He says, especially at this flashpoint in time, I'd have no reason to hold anything back. If anything, I'm not going to say it would be stylish or anything like that, but right now is a good time to speak up. And if I had something to speak up about, I would totally do it. But no, I never saw anything. He never did anything. Part of me thought Macaulay Culkin might have too much agency. Like, he is a child star himself. You know what I mean? Like, he, like, that might have been somebody that was too public for him. Like, none of the other boys were super public. You know, he they went around with him in public, but they weren't famous in their own right, you know? So maybe he just thought, oh, that's too dangerous for me to try to do anything with Macaulay Culkin. Yeah, and know. I'm happy Macaulay Culkin was not molested by Michael of course. Jackson, you know? Of course. So I'm glad for that up update um thank you for that i'm not i don't think i'm gonna watch the doc but this is (laughs) it's definitely um yeah what a calculating fucking criminal yeah Yeah. and i mean hopefully we don't let this kind of thing ever happen in the future like i i don't know hopefully if there's ever but you know history repeats itself all the damn time Yeah, I don't, I can't think of a celebrity that's just like traveling around with kids and we know that kids sleep over at their house, but definitely the molesting of it all and abusing (laughs) is happening, you know? I mean, R. Kelly should be in prison. Chris Brown should be in prison. T.I. should be in prison. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. 
Roman Polanski should be in prison. (laughs) Roman Polanski's up to no good again. There's like a fourth victim. Like he was in the news recently, raped another young girl. I mean, whatever. Let's get to our guest. It's a pretty momentous occasion for Kara and I today. Yes, we're Um, really excited about today's guest. So stay stay tuned. tuned. This week's guest has appeared on so many iconic shows, The Sopranos, Law & Order Original Recipe, House of Cards, and she recently appeared on Dash & Lily. This woman is working and booked. We love her. And you guys know her very well from her multiple episodes on SVU as defense attorney Cleo Conrad. Guys, our thrilling chat with Jill Marie Lawrence. We cannot believe we were, are with the Cleo Conrad. Uh, this is a very huge day. You're our first uh, defense attorney we've ever had on the podcast. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think I would be calling you if I did it. If I committed the murder, I'd be calling you. <laughs> Not that I've done anything, but just, you know, in the event. Um, How much do you think Cleo Conrad charged for her services? Probably $420 an hour. Okay. Ooh, okay. $420 <laughs> an hour. Love that. Wait, is this a clue that she's a pothead? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. Okay. 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 <laughs> Love it. Um, so obviously we want to talk to you about like your whole tenure on the show because you've been on a ton of episodes, but this specific episode today that your interview is a part of is um, Sick, which is, you know, it's commonly referred to as the Michael Jackson episode. And I was wondering like when you were on set doing it, were people kind of like, oh yeah, this is a Michael Jackson episode? Like did, would people talk about it when it was based on something real like that? You know, I, I didn't hear banter or talk about so much as Michael Jackson, but you know, I was telling Annalise yesterday that I was having a hard time trying to... I did so many episodes, so I forgot exactly what Sick was about. But when I saw it again early, 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 early this morning, um, that episode (laughs) was appropriately titled. It it definitely was. (laughs) Um, So there was something so so twisted and sick about it. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, What actually went down with, you know, the adults involved, particularly grandma, um... I loved working with uh, the actress. Cindy Williams from Laverne, Laverne and Shirley. Laverne and Shirley, yeah. I was so delighted to work with her. I, But I, she was so, that, that character she portrayed was so sick. It was so twisted. <laughs> it was so twisted, uh, you know, unlike what I what we have, the world, uh, you know, had seen previously <laughs> on Laverne and Shirley. So, I, I mean, I'm always, I was, when I was on that show, I was on that show nine seasons. That's, you know, that's a long time. Uh, you know, recurring, recurring. Uh, but uh, I was always defending some pedophile or some freak of some kind. Or, or, yes, yeah. you re- represented like a murdering child, like a bunch of rich kids who won't stop drinking, yep, yep. like all these, like a guy who was inseminating his own daughter. I mean, oh, you had yeah. a lot of really crazy clients. That's what I'm saying. I feel like I would hire you if I did something wrong because like you'll take the case, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I I mean, really, from the yeah, all kinds, all kinds, from the rooter to the tutor. <laughs> as as my grandmother would say, from the rooter to the tutor, all kinds. All, yeah. all all kinds. Well, you know what? When you're litigating, you know, the first 30 minutes of the show is always detective work, probing. 
And then the, the last 30 minutes is always litigating court scenes, um, interrogation rooms. If you're, if you're, you know, an attorney, you, you really need to know what you're talking about, what you're defending. And I had no idea that I had to uh, take on so much medical lingo jargon and like mitochondrial DNA or Munchausen or um, yeah. familiar, familiar DNA. Um, and it's so relevant. It's so relevant in all of the cases that you see on television today in the media, in the news how people are nailed, how people are found guilty, how some people are vindicated. So it, it, it was a big learning curve for me, n- not only as an actress, but just understanding the dynamics of how the judicial system moves and, you know, what terms they make and how they have to, you know, uh, really go into defending somebody. That's really interesting because I didn't even think about the medical stuff, but you do have to know a lot of that because I was going to ask you how was learning all of the legal jargon, but you probably had to learn a bunch of legal stuff and a bunch of, you know, medical yeah. stuff too. Yeah, because it has to make sense. You know, when you're, yeah. when you're trying to fight tooth and nail or trying to, um, you're litigating, you have to pose your argument and you got to make it make sense and you got to believe or make them believe what you're saying and what you're talking about. So yeah, it's it's um you know that's how I learned so much about medical terms. I mean, it's been a while, so I can't say I retained everything. But when I see yeah. some, when I see some, uh, when I watch some of, hey, listen, ladies, when I watch some of the marathons, um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, you know, it comes back at you. It comes it comes back to you. That's amazing. Well, so you watched Sick um, this morning to prep, but are there, because you are in some of the more heinous, uh, wild episodes, are there any that have stuck with you all of these years that you're like, ooh, that one was rough? Yeah, one 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 episode was uh, Rooftop. That one was yeah. about, a, 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 about a bunch of rapes taking place on the rooftop of buildings. And every once in a while, I run into the actor that I defended in that episode. And that was a pretty, that was a pretty hot episode. Um, the other one you are in that is really um, rough is Burned, the one with Blair Underwood. That was the one where he assaulted his wife and then there was all this back and forth, oh, he yeah. said, she said, and then he covered her in lighter fluid and set her on fire. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And Blair's so sweet. He's such a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he's not <laughs> the kind of guy that would do something. Doing something so horrible. Yeah. Um, but some of the guests, yeah, some of the guest stars, when they would come on and and I guess it, it, it would be a golden opportunity for them to kind of sink their teeth into something so gory and kind of grimy because uh, mm-hmm. they're like like Cindy Williams and Blair yeah. Underwood. You see them in a, and you have seen them previously in a, in a different light. But then when you come on to the show, Law and Order, and Law and Order, I don't know if you aesthetically picked up on it, but even the lighting is kind of dungeony, you know, with that show because they just want to mm-hmm. make sure that you know it's not a it's not a glamour and and you know glitzy show. It's it's a show that's kind of very guttural and very grimy almost with this with the cases and the topic and the subject matters, and they just really want to stay focused on the storyline at hand. And it's not about, you know, it's not about glamour. It's not, you're not, you know, try, not trying to be mm. styling. <laughs> you're not trying to style and profile on that show, you know. <laughs> but your character dressed well. She put some looks together in the courtroom. 
Yeah, yeah, you know, and they were they were kind of <laughs> gracious. They were gracious with me about about uh, you know, it was it was a great it was a great family to work with. And you know what? That's what I felt like I was coming on board with was a family because they treated you as such, you know? And uh, that was that was a lot of fun. They let me also do funky things with my hair too. And I, I really appreciate it. I was going to ask you about that. Oh yeah. They let me do <laughs> was, funky things You have things like a different hair. cool style every season. And I was going to ask you like, was that all you? Like, or was hair and makeup involved? Or were you just like, no, this is what I'm doing these days? You know what? Hair and makeup was involved. There more makeup, but my hair, um, I, I changed it up and and they they went with it. They One one year, I think I had a buzz cut. The yeah. sick episode is the one that I had the buzz cut with. And I was a little paranoid about it because I thought that the, my barber had cut too much off. But they let me, <laughs> yes, they let me kind of run the gamut with my hair. And that was, that was fun. That was fun. That's really nice because we heard from we heard from Diane Neal that they like, you know, made her wear wigs and like dye her hair and do all this other stuff. So that's cool that they were letting you. I, uh, oh, that's interesting. Just do you. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> interesting. I um oh I didn't know that. I didn't well the times I worked with her, that was I didn't I don't think she had on any wigs. I think it was her yeah, I think it was her earlier seasons that she wore a wig a um, little bit, right? Or mm-hmm. and then later she like or she because she was telling us she had like very tight braids on under the wig that were like making her brain break. Um oh, gosh. but I wanted to ask you a quick question. This is specific to the sick episode, but it's also something you do in other episodes. In all these scenes where like you whisper something to your client, like because you whisper something to Cindy when you guys kind of realize that she's got got. And you do that in a couple of other courtroom scenes because I watched all your episodes recently. Mm-hmm. Are you ever saying anything real as an actor? Are you saying anything real or are you just going blah, 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 blah? Like, what do you, you know, when you're whispering well, to a client? Well, aesthetically, I'm just, we're, we're just going with the moment of what's integral to what's happening. And, you know, that particular scene with her, she, you know, she dropped a bombshell. She, well, she basically uh, was caught. She was busted by what Diane Neal said to her. So it just only seemed, you know, it was a seamless transition, a moment to just lean over to her and say, listen, I think we need to cut a deal here because, yeah. you know, <laughs> you know, you you just been busted, my dear. You just been busted, you know. So at times, <laughs> you know, they allow us to go into that moment because it's just, it seems only logical when, uh, yeah. you know, if the, if, if the person, the perp has done something and they've been busted. It's like, well, okay, well, at this point, we need to go into negotiating something here. Yeah, so that's, yes, that that usually kind of just <laughs> works. It works its way in, that moment in, yeah. Who are the people where when you saw the script and you saw who was coming in or what judge it was or which detectives you were working with that you were like, oh, tonight's going to be a great day or, oh, I can't wait to work with this person. Like any any particular people you enjoyed working with? Well, every every episode was always exciting um, in some way, shape, or form. I will say that I have worked with a few legends. Um, one of one was I think my last episode. My last episode with them was with Jerry Lewis, and yeah, um, <laughs> Jerry Lewis is goofy and funny. God rest his soul. <laughs> he was he was so so much fun to work with. And at one point, I want to say that Jerry Lewis was probably, I want to say he was in his mid to late 70s. He was in his mid to late 70s in that particular episode. And, um, 
you know, he kept experiencing a hiccup with one particular speech. And sometimes that happens. As an actor, you, you know, you're trying to establish a flow with your delivery. And he kept experiencing uh, some hiccups. And I think, I think even memory was m- maybe even an issue. So they said, well, let's pause. And we took maybe about a, I want to say we took about a 16, 17, maybe 20 minute break. And we came back and he was sharp as a blade, on point with <laughs> everything. And it, it was it was kind of like a lengthy speech. But you could tell that he had been, you know, he had been at this game for quite a long time. And uh, I think, you know, sometimes the actor, we have to work through what we're saying. And... Um, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you got to defend a lot of a lot of celebs like Titus Welliver, Estella Warren, Britney Snow, Blair Underwood, who we mentioned, Erica Christensen. You had, had a lot of you get you got a lot of FaceTime with the celebs. You are absolutely right. There's so many that I that I did work with. Titus. Wow, Titus has come a long way too. Wow. Just yeah, Kara's a big fan of Titus. <laughs> oh, Kara's really? I'm a big Bosch fan. Yeah, I like Bosch. <laughs> oh, Titus is—he's like the real deal. Yeah, yeah, and he—that uh, episode. <laughs> he's also goofy and funny too. He's—he's he's a lot of fun. He's—he's he's a lot. Oh, of fun. that's good to know. But like when I when I walked up on the set and I saw Titus, I said, "Oh, this is the Titus." Okay, we're gonna have <laughs> we're gonna have fun with this episode because <laughs> he's a lot of fun. Oh my god, he's a I lot love of fun. that. And I wish him so much. I wish him well. Well, I'm wondering how do do people stop you on the street? Yeah, I have been stopped on the street at uh, a time or two. I've even been stopped on the street when I didn't even have on my war paint, and they worked. And they, you know, recognized me. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Uh, I was down in the village one day. Me and my sister, we were hanging out, and I didn't have any war paint on that day. And Oh, I know. I know who you are. I know who you are, boo. I want your autograph, but I'm like, I'm not, I'm not like one of the famous ones. I still want your autograph, you know. So that happens. Yeah, that happens. Um, That's so funny. Yeah. But my time there was wonderful. It was really great. And I learned so much. I learned a great deal. You had to go up against um, the DA, the ADAs a lot. So like in a lot of your episodes, you're either going up against Cabot or, or Novak. Yeah, I went up against them uh, quite a bit, and um, both sharp actresses, and and um, I learned a great deal from working with both of them. They were very giving, very very. You know, when I got when I first got there, they embraced me, and they were very, uh, very giving actors, and that was fun. Even if you would go up against them, it was it was fun working with them in that fashion. It was fun. What other things did you learn? You mentioned you learned a lot on, um, on with your time there. Well, I learned how you got to be on point uh, when the uh, writing changes. Sometimes the writing can change within a rehearsal, you know, because I was fresh out of school when I when I um, when I got on board with them, and uh, I learned a lot more with the medium of film and TV because I was, I'm conservatory trained. And, uh, you know, we certainly um, focused on the craft of acting. But when you get actually on the set, week to week, month to month, you couldn't go to any university or any conservatory training program 
and get the kind of experience that you have when you get right there on the set. So I learned a lot about the legal and judicial system. I learned a lot about, as I said earlier, um, medical terms, medical jargon. I learned a lot about even media, how cases are presented, how the news and the media can really um, highlight something that is very disturbing. I learned a lot from very from various different avenues so much. And nine years is, as I said, nine seasons. That's a long time. I cultivated some relationships uh, working with people. And uh, I, I think the biggest takeaway for, for me was learning the, the mechanics of the judicial system. Yeah, that's I certainly... learned a lot about that from SVU. Yeah, I, I was going to say, that's yeah. from watching you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you started out on the show like really pretty early. I mean, season three, you start out as Cleo Conrad and then you're, you're on there through season nine. So kind of as the show is gaining in its popularity, um, did you notice anything like different, like change as you would come back to set like season over season, like any differences from like three to nine? The show definitely was picking up momentum. I, I I would probably say that the the one main thing I definitely noticed was how they decided to extract so much from real newsworthy things. Um, I think mm. that I think that really grew over time. I'm gonna be honest with you. I think that's what's made the Law and Order as um, franchise you know, last as long as it has is because every, most of these stories, if not all, are really extracted from real news stories. And I think that's what keeps it so relevant. And I don't think it was like that at the very beginning. I think as time went on and as they grew, because everybody grew, everybody grew, everybody blossomed. Even the producers, they, they had their own discoveries in the process of producing. And I, I think over time, that's how um, it became um, as successful as it has been. Yeah. Speaking of producers, Neil Bear has been a returned guest on our podcast. Um, hmm. Did you get to work with Neil Bear and enjoy him as much as we do? I did. I learned so yeah. much. I really did. I, I learned so much. I, I'm, I consider myself one of the lucky ones. Um, I've even had dignitaries come to me and say, uh, well, God rest his soul, he has passed on. But David Dinkins, who was once the mayor of, of um, mm. New York City, he said one of the, one of his career aspirations or dreams was to come on the show and be a judge. I said, really? He said, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, m many, many people uh, would be enchanted and take delight in that opportunity, and I'm just so glad I did. Yeah. If you if you were to come back to SVU, like season 24, 25, would you want to reprise your role as Cleo Conrad or would you want to come back as somebody different? I would, you, you know what, I, I would take delight in, in, in the invite, period. Uh, it's a it's a great it's a great show to be a part of. And uh, I would I would embrace uh, I would embrace it. Surely I certainly would embrace it. It's a it, they're a family and they were. They were great. They were good to me. I, I love them to pieces. And uh, doing doing uh, Cleo Conrad or or something there other, you know. Um, 
I'm an actor, so I'm 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 required to do whatever you know I'm asked to do. I tell people I do everything but porn. <laughs> pretty much, you know. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty much my situation, you know. Um, but yeah, I, would I certainly love take delight in that. Absolutely. Um, do you have any um, projects coming up that you want our um, audience to sort of look out for or? I know it's been a rough pandemic. I just want the audience to be on the lookout for me in general, period. I don't have any yeah, hell set. Yeah. I do not have any set project. I, You know what? The last year and a half, ladies, has been busy with um, VOs, uh, voiceovers, animation gigs. Um, but I'm ready. I'm just, I'm ready to, you know, uh, take on the next project. I'm certainly looking forward to it. But look to see me. We will be looking out. We will be looking out for sure. That was incredible. It's always just a level of excitement when we get a cast member that like can't be replicated or anything like that. It's just like beyond to have someone yeah. that's and remembers and has so many good stories. I mean, that was like a thrill of a lifetime. We've been wanting to get her on for a while. So yeah. Exciting. Yeah. I was so happy she took the time and just you can tell, like, that she trained at a conservatory. Like, she has so much, like, gravitas when she talks on the show. You know what I mean? Like, I just sat down with, like, a group of people. And I was like, oh, what, what have you guys been talking about? Um, Like, at a bar. And they were like, oh, we're talking about the douchiest schools. And I went, oh, like, colleges? And then I went, well, Duke, duh. And then everyone started laughing. There was someone from the Duke Business School. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, you must know it's... The number one, that's the number one douche that comes to my head. Really? Yeah. What, I mean, what about you? I mean, I went to a douche school, so it's kind of tough. Like, I, one of the summer house guys went to my college. <laughs> Tucker Carlson went to my college. Like, a lot of douches went to my college. Oh, wow. Um, but, like, I would say you can't talk to somebody from Harvard without them letting you know within three minutes that they went to Harvard, you know? But, I mean, if you're talking about, like, more bro douche culture, yeah, I don't know. Duke is a good one. I mean, I think of Northeastern schools, like, more that comes to mind more quickly. But, like, or I guess, like, University of Boulder or whatever. Boulder. Like, yeah, like, there's some, like, of these, or, like, Arizona, I think, is probably pretty douchey, like, University of Arizona. I'm sorry if you went to these schools, but I'm sure you're going to message me, some of you, and say— Well, this you, is just a right. conversation. It doesn't yeah. mean everyone's a douche there, but what is yeah. the douchey place? No, know. I just fully admitted that I went to a douche school. But I'm saying, like, if you're talking about, like, frat boy behavior or entitlement. I mean, there's like levels of douche, you know? Like I wouldn't say all the kids at some of the state, uh, at like state schools are are loaded, but they might be just like misogynist, like creeps that are like, let's get fucked up and roofy girls. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah. Duke's got, Duke's got a lot of problems. Yeah, because it's like, if that's your number one dream. But I know someone that went to the minister school there. I mean, I Well, every, know. there's different. It's like, if you went to like the school of education or like even the business school, that might be different. Like, I mean, we're talking undergrad, I think, you know? Um, yeah, so this was an amazing episode. Obviously, uh, we've learned a lot from the whole... I don't think somebody like Michael Jackson could get away with what he got away with now. Like, I think that that case has taught us a lot, but... I also don't, it's like we said, I don't just don't, I don't know if there is a Michael Jackson alive right now, you know? No, but you can get away with it. What just happened in football with Cleveland? Like they got someone who had 22 accusations against him and like paying, and it was like the biggest football contract ever. Like no one actually ends up caring. 
about what people well, do. Well, I just mean pedophilia is a little yeah. bit more. Like in the, you know, of course, like there's always going to be fucking, yeah, gross criminal guys doing shit. But I don't think traveling on tour with a child unaccompanied would fly now. <laughs> like I truly don't think that like anyone, like I think PR people would be like, you can't go all Michael Jackson on us. Like I'm sure he's like a case study now. Yeah, you know? they're more. it's more, what's the episode we did with our cool Stevie Jones? Stevie Lynn oh, Jones. Yeah. yeah. The um, It's more undercover pool parties. Yes. Nickelodeon. And, like, and just riding the edge of legal, too. Like, yeah. A lot of that. Riding the edge of legal. That's pretty <laughs> fun. <laughs> that is cool and fun. Yeah. Um, no, the world is sick. Like, Munchausen's by proxy is scary. And rich people who get away with pedophilia suck. I don't know. Yeah. But also, this is the funniest. I learned that a big, an oversized pirate hat on a man. I love that. <laughs> Never Do you know the a... new show like Flag of the Dead or Flag of Our Fall? You know, there's um, like a, it's about, whatever. It's called Our Flag's Name is Death or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. But I guess it's about like. means death. It's about gay pirates. And I guess a bunch of pirates were gay. And that makes so much sense. But I never clicked in my head. But pirates are all just gay and fucking. Everybody's been gay forever. I mean, like Greek mythology, everyone was gay. Like, I everyone's just, just been gay and fucking but forever. But of course these pirates looking for treasure are gay, but it never <laughs> occurred to me. They have They're parrots. looking for rubies and shit? Come yeah. on. <laughs> but our friends are watching the show, and I really like the uh, Nathan, the Nathan guy in it because he was one of my favorite Instagram videos. He played the Noah's Ark gay assistant. Picking the animals that got to come on the boat. Did oh, you that's not- right. I you sent that to me, and that was very funny. It was that one was of my favorite funny. things. And now he's on giant billboards in this show, and my friends are watching. I have to watch because I guess it's all about just like gay pirates. Yeah, and it's like you know we know people. We we there's people in it that we know also, but also uh, Taika Watiti, who made like Jojo Rabbit and a lot of stuff yeah. that I like, is like a producer of it and stuff. So. I think it's probably very good. Um, Do you remember he was he was like thruple kissing? That was like a big thing last year. Do you remember? Yeah, wasn't he dating Rita Ora? Annalise. Yes, yes, yes. They're they're nodding. They're nodding. My fact check is just saying something and looking at Annalise's screen. (laughs) It was Taika Waititi because he's dating Rita Ora, and it was uh, Tessa Thompson. Oh, right, right. They were all canoodling. So hot, like too hot, like the like the most gorgeous women. I and he's cute too. Well, yeah, but he not. He, I mean, he is also. It seems one of the smartest, funniest people on the planet. Yeah, and that adds for sure to the thing. Rita Ora, I'm just like, it's like fetch. It's never gonna happen, you know. Dude, like, no I listened to this you. other podcast. I listened to this podcast called Who Weekly. I'm sure I've mentioned it to you before. It's like about all the celebrities that you you're love supposed it. to know. It's your and top. And Rita Ora is their queen. Like Rita, they have a whole segment called What's Rita Ora Up To? Because she is the ultimate who that will never be a them. Like she is never. It is completely fetch. She is never gonna hit her tipping point. Like you know, I know who she is. I could probably even sing a song of hers if you really pressed me. 
but my mom will never know who she is. Like, she will never be household name. You know no, what I she mean? she can sing a song at the Oscars in perfect pitch in a nice gown. And we, the moment she walks off stage, it's like amnesia. Yeah. I yeah. don't know why, but I think she comes from wealth. I have no idea. She's like a British wealthy. She's part of, um. it's part of like all these Albanian pop stars, right, Annalise? It's Dua Lipa. It's Rita Ora. It's, a, I think, Ava Max. And I think BB Rexa. I think they're, they're like all, all Albanian. I think so. I think no so. No clue. Well, I, I only know all this shit because I listen to Who Weekly sometimes and they talk about this. But that is so funny that you said that because it's like, that is absolutely like the vibe of her is, it's just not going to happen. She'll always have some level of fame, but it's never going to be the one that she wants. Um, but back to fame, Michael Jackson, all of this shit. I will say I am happy that like, I finally like came around to realizing the scope of these crimes and like what happened with him. Cause I think I was a denier. A lot of people have been deniers. A lot of people are still deniers of what happened with him. And I was Well, it's what you we know. talk about a lot. It's not our own personal thing. Like that's why when we discuss shit and said, like, we're all a part of the system. So we're gonna believe the things that are fed to us or the big stuff and we're kids and it's happening. And you're like, no fucking way. Fuck these kids, you know, or whatever the vibe is. And yeah. then you hopefully get perspective on the world and how it functions but it's like we're all we're all possible to fall victim to like having dumb opinions that keep uh <laughs> lift uh propping this messed up yeah. world we live in yeah for sure that was like that was a i don't know how i got that sentence out did it even make <laughs> sense did it even make sense <laughs> It's like I was faking a no, presentation but- at college where I was just like putting things together that are You're like, real and or not. heretofore, obviously, <laughs> with the with what we've seen, um, it. <laughs> um, but I will say that I credit the Leaving Neverland doc as a big part of my come to Jesus moment about Michael Jackson. And yes, so- but you said that even after it came out, his sales spiked. Of course, yes, because people are like reminded of his music and they don't care. But I wanted to lead into what would Sister Peg do this week where I am highlighting Leaving Neverland. I just think people should watch the doc. It's like important, even though it's sad. And it's only, you know, it's two parts. That's it. And uh, it's an HBO documentary. And you know what? HBO might be getting sued and have to take it down. So you might have to fucking, you might not be able to see it for that long. So that I'm I'm highlighting it this week for what would Sister Peg do. And as I mentioned, two-part doc that features the stories of Wade Robeson and James Safechuck, and it goes into detail describing everything that happened with them and their relationship with Michael Jackson. It is an intense watch, but it's very eye-opening if you want a deeper dive into their stories. So again, go to HBO, HBO Max, and, and search Leaving Neverland, or we will have the link to it in our show notes. And as always, in our Instagram highlight called WWSPD. Next week's episode, we're doing Friending Emily, season 14, episode six. We're really thrilled. Watch along with us. We're so blessed. Bye. Bye, guys. See you next week. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmessedupppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmessedupppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Annalise Nelson. And to our mixer, John Bradley. 
and to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Danielle Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Dun-dun! Dun, dun. <laughs> follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.